You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. I'm Tanya Sam, host of the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood. This daily podcast will help give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. With celebrity guests like Rick Ross, Amanda Seals, Angela Yee, Roland Martin, J.B. Smooth, and Terrell Owens, tune in to learn how to turn liabilities into assets and make your money move. Subscribe to the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you leave a review. When's the last time you took a time out? I'm Eve Rodsky, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fair Play and Find Your Unicorn Space, activist on the gender division of labor, attorney and family mediator. And I'm Dr. Aditi Narukar, a Harvard physician and medical correspondent with an expertise in the science of stress, resilience, mental health and burnout. We're so excited to share our podcast, Time Out, a production of iHeart Podcasts and Hello Sunshine. We're peeling back the layers around why society makes it so easy to guard men's time like it's diamonds and treat women's time like it's infinite, like sand. And so whether you're partnered with or without children or in a career where you want more boundaries, this is the place for you, for people of all family structures. So take this time out with us to learn, get inspired, and most importantly, reclaim your time. Listen to Time Out, a Fair Play podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened 
uh, is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, if you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. You crack open a Dr. Pepper. You know it'll only make you more thirsty in the long run, but you need some liquid in your mouth, and you're saving your remaining 15 gallons for a quick shower. The U-Haul is finally almost packed up. You may be able to make it down to San Francisco in time. Living in Redwood Valley has been nice the last few years. It's a beautiful place, but in August of 2022, the drought became too much. Late last year, California's new far-right governor lifted all water restrictions on farmers. This sparked a new statewide race to use what water was available before it ran out. Lake Mendocino was already low at the beginning of the year, and for the first time in your memory, it is now completely empty. San Francisco isn't doing great either, but it's much better off than where you live. The Russian River watershed relies almost entirely on rainfall and is isolated from state and federal aqueducts. After the governor lifted water restrictions, new almond and pot farms started sucking up groundwater, and by the end of the summer, they'd started pumping from the river to feed their thirsty crops. By mid-July, your town implemented a 25-gallon limit per person per day. That's about as much water as you go through during a five-minute shower. The first thing you sacrificed was your garden, then you stopped flushing after you peed. These tweaks added up, though, and without water, the lifestyle you'd loved just stopped being possible. Your brother in San Francisco offered to let you move in with him. You weren't a fan of the big city, but at least you'd be able to shower again. And so you find yourself sipping an empty soda can and loading up your last few boxes into the U-Haul. You give your brother a quick call, saying you're all packed up and about to head out. He sounds worried and mentions something about his school letting new teachers go due to budget cuts. You can't really afford to think about that now. You just need to leave. Since you're all sweaty from loading the U-Haul the last few days, you decide to hop into the shower one last time. You knew it wouldn't last long, but you still seemed surprised when the water turned off after what felt like only two minutes. You quickly dry off and grab some clean clothes from your backpack and throw your damp towel into the passenger seat of the truck. You say goodbye to your home of ten years and to your old succulent plants, and begin the three-hour drive down to San Francisco. Water scarcity is a problem you're probably already familiar with, especially if you live in the Southwest. California has dealt with particularly brutal droughts over the last 20 years, and the Golden State's water problems could be about to get much, much worse. Because in just a few days, California might find itself helmed by a far-right governor with a near-religious hatred of water conservation. Electoral politics are not generally a big focus on this show. But what's going on in the state of California could have serious implications for many people, including those outside the West Coast. The ongoing recall campaign against Governor Gavin Newsom started out in June of 2020 with Republican politicians and activists unhappy with Newsom's handling of the pandemic. Newsom's opposition to President Trump's crackdown on undocumented immigrants also played a role. This is actually the fifth recall attempt against Newsom since he took office in 2019, but it's the first one to gain traction. It's fueled in part by Newsom's own hypocrisy and hubris. On November 6, 2020, the recall effort gained court approval for a signature gathering extension. And later that night, Governor Newsom went to a birthday party for a Sacramento lobbyist and friend at French Laundry, a pricey Napa Valley restaurant. Soon after, photos surfaced of Newsom mingling maskless at the packed restaurant. He faced heavy criticism and apologized, but the damage was done. Republicans latched on to this as an opportunity to finally push the recall effort through. The recall petition, which had only 55,588 signatures on the day of the dinner, had nearly half a million a month after the November 6th incident. 
California's recall process is probably the least democratic one in the United States. Gathering signatures to authorize a recall election is a pretty standard thing, but California has among the lowest signature requirements in states that allow for the recall of an official. Most states require that the recall campaign must gather signatures equal to 25% of the votes cast in the last election. California requires just 12% for executive officials. The LA Times notes, quote, That might have been a high bar in 1911, when the population was scattered across the 770-mile length of the state, but is it too low in 2021 when petitions for ballot measures are gathered en masse by paid staff and parking lots? And that's not the only questionable aspect of California's recall process. On recall election day, voters will face two questions on the ballot. First, yes or no on whether to recall Governor Gavin Newsom from office. Second, and this one is technically optional, if so, who among the 46 candidates do you want to take his place? The first question is decided by a simple majority, just like other ballot measures. But when it comes to the second question, the percentage requirements change. The replacement candidate doesn't need more than 50% to win. So if more than 50% of the voters say yes on the recall question, Governor Newsom must step down, even if he has more overall support than any other individual challenger on the ballot. The replacement question is determined by who gets the most votes among the challengers on the ballot, which Newsom cannot be on. So 49.9% of the voters can back Mr. Newsom, and he can still lose to someone who is supported by only, say, 20% of the electorate, or even a smaller fraction. For other California elections, including special elections triggered by the death or resignation of an official, a candidate cannot win without the support of a majority of voters. If a candidate doesn't win over 50% outright, then the top two compete in a runoff election. Not the case for California's recall process. Organizers of the recall campaign submitted 2.1 million signatures by the March 17th filing deadline. 1,719,900 signatures were ultimately determined to have been valid, which was enough to trigger the recall. The deadline for casting your vote is September 14th. If the recall succeeds, the new governor would be in office for the remainder of Mr. Newsom's term through January 2nd, 2023. And that leaves a lot of time for executive fuckery especially considering the new frontrunner. Far-right radio talk show host and frequent Fox guest Larry Elder has emerged as the likely candidate to replace Newsom in the event the recall goes through. Elder, who is 69, jumped into the race relatively late in the game, during mid-July. At that time, it was more of a toss-up between Republican candidates Kevin Falconer, a former San Diego mayor, and businessman John Cox, who lost badly to Newsom in the 2018 gubernatorial election. Assemblyman Kevin Kiley and former athlete and media personality Caitlyn Jenner polled less well. But as Larry Elder entered the race, he almost immediately became the frontrunner in polls and raised lots of money from small donors. In the three weeks after he announced his campaign, he raised nearly $4.5 million, according to fundraising disclosures. That's more than every other Republican challenger, sans multimillionaire businessman John Cox, who's largely funding his own campaign. Elder has been a central figurehead of the right-wing radio talk show scene since the 90s, but has always been hesitant to run for public office, deeming the state of California ungovernable due to its liberal supermajority. But after talking with his friend and mentor, Dennis Prager, of the neo-fascist propaganda outlet PragerU, he figured it might be worth a shot and has expressed desire to use the emergency powers of the governor to push the state rightwards. Elder was born in Los Angeles, but moved to Cleveland to attend law school and opened his own firm in 1980. Elder's career began as a bit of an accident. He'd been invited on a Cleveland station as a guest. He did so well on air that, when the regular host went on vacation the following week, the program director asked Elder to fill in. 
Soon enough, Elder had his own weekly time slot on the Cleveland station. In the early 90s, a guest host from Los Angeles, Dennis Prager, visited Cleveland. Elder quickly impressed Prager with his on-air wit and talent, coupled with the uniqueness of a black man openly expressing extreme conservative views. Prager persuaded his home station, KABC in Los Angeles, to give Elder a shot. Quoting the LA Times, Elder returned to his hometown in 1994, two years after the civil unrest following the acquittal of the officers who beat Rodney King, and in the midst of the O.J. Simpson murder case. The program director at rival KFI, David G. Hall, felt KABC made a creative move, bringing on this guy from South Central who swung the other way on race. Almost from the beginning, the self-proclaimed sage from South Central whipped up a furor. He mixed sound bites from Representative Maxine Waters with a recording of a barking dog. He said, Blacks exaggerate the significance of racism, while women did the same in regards to sexism. For nearly four years, Elder has slapped many members of his own race in the face on radio, belittling them as whiners or losers, holding himself up as a model of African-American excellence. He's become a darling of white listeners who seem to almost gush when they telephone him on KABC Talk Radio. They are astonished to find a black man who not only isn't going to chastise them, but who also often agreed with them, a black man who declared that race was no longer a significant factor in American society. Elder also doesn't believe that racial profiling exists. This is despite telling the Times editorial board that police pulled him over between 75 and 100 times the first year he had his driver's license. Elder's regressive, provocative content angered many Angelinos, and black citizens of California led a boycott of advertisers on the show. It worked, and by the late 90s, the show had begun losing millions in ad revenue. But thanks to syndication, changing networks, podcasts, and TV appearances, Elder has been able to remain a central figure of the right-wing content sphere. He most recently starred in a video series for far-right propaganda organization and literal cult, The Epoch Times. According to Elder's campaign, the central recall issues he is focusing on are rampant crime, rising homelessness, out-of-control costs of living, water shortages, disastrous wildfires, rolling brownouts, and repressive COVID restrictions. For this show, we'll be focusing on the last three as they relate to the rapidly shifting and hostile climate. For the past 30 years, Elder has been a classic conservative climate denier. He had a whole section of his website devoted to debunking the gore-bull warming myth. Like, Al Gore, bullshit, warming myth, yeah, it's a bad pun. In a CNN interview prior to the 2008 election, Elder called global warming a false myth while disparaging and making fun of both John McCain and George W. Bush for discussing global warming as a serious issue. However, more recently, Elder has shifted his rhetoric around the climate. In an interview last month, he expressed belief that some warming is taking place, but by using old soft denialist talking points, climate is always changing, of course the climate's changing, the question is, what do we do about it? Do we deal with the effects of it, or do we force feed a renewables-based economy down the throats of people, jacking up the price of energy, a disproportionate pain for poor people? But of course there's climate change, and the climate is getting warmer, and maybe about a degree or so in the last several years, and it will likely continue. He adds, what I don't believe in is climate change alarmism. He also said that he was not sure whether climate change is making wildfires worse. Quote, fires have gotten worse because the failure of this governor to engage in sensible fire suppression. Elder also blames California's rising housing costs on environmental extremists that jack up the cost of housing so that developers have to wait and wait and get sued over and over again so that finally when the home is built, it's way more expensive than otherwise it would be without these environmental rules and regulations. 
Despite the slight backpedaling on climate for better media optics, his potential policies on the topic are just as horrendous as one might assume. In a recent video news conference, Elder declared that he would end the war on oil and gas and the attack on the logging industry while also reducing regulation on fracking and stopping California's growing efforts to expand wind and solar power, which he calls not very efficient. Elder did not mention climate change during his news conference. Water scarcity will be an increasingly severe concern for California in the coming years. Drought is already a major political talking point among voters and politicians, and it creates another rift between city folk and rural farmers. Farmers are having a harder time growing crops and feel threatened by water rationing. They're frustrated by the thought that the Democrats running cities will always prioritize pumping extra water into population-dense areas. Meanwhile, people in cities are concerned they will be forced to cut back on personal water use as almond farmers suck up tons of water to feed their droops. Just building more dams and water catchment systems or aquifers may seem like a solution, and if done properly, some of those things might help, but they can't make up for a lack of rainfall and snowmelt. Relying on river water has its own problems. Pulling too much from fresh water that flows through rivers allows for extra salt water to intrude from the bay and ocean. Salinity in the water negatively impacts local ecosystems and dirties what is supposed to be a freshwater source. Drought is simultaneously pushing migratory fish species like Chinook salmon and steelhead trout closer to the brink of extinction. Large numbers of fish are dying off because the rivers they rely on as spawning habitats are too warm or too low. Anxiety around water, droughts, and crops is among the issues driving some people to vote yes on the recall. A poll conducted last July by the Public Policy Institute of California found that residents cited drought and water supply as their top environmental concern, with about 25% calling it their chief concern, which makes it poll well above the related problems of wildfires, air pollution, and climate change. Republican politicians have been using anxiety around drought to drum up support for the recall by blaming the current situation on Newsom. The original recall petition against Newsom from early in 2020 warned that the governor, quote, seeks to impose additional burdens on our state, including rationing our water use. Last April, Governor Newsom did declare a drought emergency in two northwest California counties. The order allowed state officials to restrict the amount of water diverted from the Russian River and authorized the relocation of fish stranded in drying puddles. The local county government asked residents to use no more than 50 gallons per day per person. But Newsom himself hasn't mandated water rationing for individual consumers, though he has asked Californians to voluntarily cut consumption by 15% and has suggested that statewide restrictions could be on the table if conditions worsen heading into the fall. Newsom and the Department of Water Resources as a whole do have ideas in mind for tackling this issue. Last year, Newsom authorized an $11 billion water infrastructure project, building a single 30-mile tunnel under the Sacramento-San Joaquin River Delta. The project, which has been discussed for years, is being pushed forward in hopes that it will protect the Delta's existing wetland ecosystem and supply enough fresh, clean water to be diverted south for the rest of the state. But the tunnel concept has faced opposition, both locally and from conservation-minded folks. Some residents in the Delta region see it as just a water grab to meet the demands of Southern California and the agriculture industry, while the needs of those up north are being ignored. Ecologically focused critics say it could still increase salinity in the Delta and result in notable harm for the ecosystem. Newsom has more recently discussed other action and legislation to help mitigate the continued drought. Quoting the San Francisco Chronicle, 
In July, the governor signed a state budget that includes $5.1 billion over four years for new water infrastructure and drought preparation projects, including money to repair delivery canals, help farmers irrigate crops more efficiently, and start water recycling projects. Still, Newsom's recent actions have done little to quell anger among many farmers who say the state's failure to plan for another major drought just a few years after it exited the last one has put them on the brink of ruin. Ernest Buddy Mendez, a lifelong farmer in Fresno County and Republican County supervisor, said he was forced to let hundreds of acres where he used to grow cotton and wheat dry up this year after his allotment of river water was slashed to zero. He's relying on groundwater pumped from wells to keep his grove of almond trees alive. Mendez said he hasn't decided whom to support as a replacement candidate in the recall, just that he will vote, hell yeah, to remove Newsom. Let's face it, Newsom, damn is a four-letter word, Mendez said. We haven't done anything in 20 years about building storage. California already does have one of the most extensive dam systems in the country, with nearly 1,500 reservoirs. Building new on-river dams would cost billions of dollars, if such efforts even survive legal challenges, which are all but guaranteed amid the struggle to save endangered fish species. There are not many areas left that would make sense or be sustainable to build a new, large reservoir. One other, more cost-effective solution could be to store more water collected during wet years in underground aquifers. One of the solutions to this problem is the same as the solution to a number of other climate-related problems, which is that we simply have to cut the amount of resources we're consuming, whether that means reducing our energy use or cutting down on wasteful water use. You can only build so many dams. The trend of California farmers growing thirstier crops has made an existing problem much worse. Today, the state produces three times as many acres of almonds as it did 25 years ago. With California most likely entering a third straight year of disappointing rainfall and snowmelt, anxiety around drought and increased severity of water restrictions won't get any better. And if the La Nina weather pattern hits the West Coast as it's poised to, that would mean the western U.S. will have a drier and hotter winter than average. Last August, water regulators made an unprecedented move to begin cracking down on water use in the sprawling Sacramento River and San Joaquin River watersheds, ordering 4,500 farmers, water districts, and other landowners, including the city of San Francisco, to stop drawing water from the basins of the river or face penalties of up to $10,000 a day. The city has enough water in its reservoirs to meet demand for at least a couple of years, and stored water is not affected by the state restrictions. Water agencies also can seek an exemption from curtailments if human health or safety are compromised. This does hit rural areas and agriculture the hardest, because most cities have alternative supplies and stored water to tap into. Looking to attract voters, Larry Elder and other Republican challengers to Newsom have made it a recurring point to say that farmers should not have to endure such cuts. But they don't really give any perspective solutions to prevent rationing when water levels at reservoirs. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? 
It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bars, lakes, and wells are all plummeting. Larry Elder said drought is not inevitable and said he supports building more reservoirs and dams to store runoff, but he has also voiced support for permitting desalinization projects. Desalinization devastates ocean life, costs much more than other alternatives, and uses tons of energy. Also, soon it will be made obsolete by increasing focus on water recycling. Explaining desalinization quickly, ocean water is collected and run through pipes to remove the largest solids and then pumped through reverse osmosis filters to remove salt, while fish and other creatures die upon being sucked in or just from the force of the water flow. In a report studying a desalinization plant in the early 2000s, it was found that on average over a five-year period, 19.4 billion larvae were caught up at intakes and about 2.7 million fish, along with marine mammals and sea turtles, were killed by intake equipment. For every gallon of drinking water, desalinization leaves another gallon of salty brine behind. The plants then just mix that with two parts ocean water before pumping it back into the ocean. These measures can negatively impact the environment for this generation and generations to come. This type of resource extractive thinking reflects how we got into the problem in the first place. Battling over water allotments will only get us so far when dealing with lackluster rainfall. 
What can help is permaculture programs to help farmers learn ways to irrigate more effectively and cultivate healthier soils that retain water, moving away from water-heavy crops like almonds and towards more sustainable and moisture-efficient crops must also be done if we want to stave off the worst effects. Putting Larry Elder in office won't make it rain, but it will put the state at least another year further behind on taking the kind of action necessary to ensure California remains habitable. What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings, and we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment, from DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. We talk to the legends of business, sports, and entertainment about how they got their start and most importantly, how they make their money. Earn Your Leisure is a college business class mixed with pop culture. Want to learn about the real estate game? Unclear as how the stock market works? We got you. Interested in starting a trucking company or a vending machine business? Not really sure about how taxes or credit work? We got it all covered. The Earn Your Leisure podcast is available now. Listen to Earn Your Leisure on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. After 30 years, it's time to return to the halls of West Beverly High and hang out at the Peach Pit. On the podcast 9021OMG, join Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling for a rewatch of the hit series Beverly Hills 90210 from the very beginning. We get to tell the fans all of the behind-the-scenes stories that actually happened. So they know what happened on camera, obviously, but we can tell them all the good stuff that happened off camera. Get all the juicy details of every episode that you've been wondering about for decades as 90210 90210 super fan and radio host Sissini sits in with Jenny and Tori to reminisce, reflect, and relive each moment from Brandon and Kelly's first kiss to shouting, Donna Martin graduates. You have an amazing memory. You remember everything about the entire 10 years that we filmed that show. And you remember absolutely nothing of the 10 years that we filmed that show. <laughs> Listen to 9021 OMG on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Lethal listeners, Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission, clearing my Aunt Beth's name and making sure justice was finally served. But I hadn't counted on a rash of new murderers tearing apart the town. My mission put myself and my friends in danger, though it wasn't all bad. I'm gonna be real with you, Tig. I like you. But now... All signs point to a new serial killer in Hollow Falls. If this game is just starting, you better believe I'm going to win. I'm Tig Torres, and this is Lethal Lit. Catch up on season one of the hit murder mystery podcast, Lethal Lit, a Tig Torres mystery, out now. And then tune in for all new thrills in season two, dropping weekly starting February 9th. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. Listen to Lethal Lit on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The last few months in San Francisco have been, honestly, better than you expected. Still hot and dry, but now that you're in fall, the heat has become manageable. In the Bay Area, at least. Staying with your brother has been actually really nice. The first few showers felt like luxury. Recently, he's had less of a good time. 
He found out he was getting laid off right before the school year started. He told me over 15,000 other teachers had been fired as a part of the governor's new Reform Schools program. The teachers' union is fighting it, but your brother isn't too optimistic regarding the outcome. He's been looking for new work, and meanwhile, you've gotten a shitty retail job to help with bills while you decide on what hospitals you want to apply to. You don't really miss your old EMS job in Redwood Valley. When you finally do get back into medical care, you really prefer something in a hospital or clinic setting, as opposed to the extra stress inherent in emergency services. The one chance you have had to use your medical skills since moving was during the fires last September and October. Back up north, they got really bad, and hundreds of thousands of people evacuated down south. Some old activist friends of yours from college made their own fire relief slash mutual aid setup to give out clothes and food and to help people displaced by the fires. You haven't talked much with your old college buddies in the past few years, but upon hearing of the relief effort, you happily offered up your skills to help with minor medical issues in a small medic tent they set up. It was the first time you've helped with anything related to protests or organizing since you moved up to Redwood Valley 10 years ago. It was oddly refreshing. Politics hasn't been a major part of your life since college. But speaking of politics, midterms are finally this month. The past year has felt like it stretched on forever. Your brother and his union buddies have been doing canvassing for a few progressive city council candidates that might actually get a shot at getting in. You haven't had time to adjust to San Francisco's local political scene, and honestly, you're not sure if you really care to. You have been keeping half an eye on the big state electoral races, though, which feels kind of weird. You know there's no way the Republican governor will get reelected, not here in California. One thing that has gotten you worried is the weekly anti-election fraud rallies that have been happening in LA ever since October. The governor, surrounded by state troopers, has made it down himself a few times to drum up support from his fan base. And after the rallies, roving gangs of far-right extremists have gone around randomly attacking homeless encampments. You heard that just last week, after a Sunday rally, three people had to be rushed to the emergency room. It's now just a week before Election Day. You're on the bus home from your job at the vintage clothing store when you receive a message on Signal from one of your old college mutual aid buddies you met up with again during the fire relief effort. The message reads, Hey, are you free on election day? You hadn't really thought about the day itself. You respond, Maybe. Nothing really planned yet. Your friend replies with a fat wall of text. My affinity group and I are heading down to L.A. on Tuesday. There's a big Stop the Steal type rally happening, and word is lots of Proud Boys are going to show up. Comrades in L.A. have put out some calls for support, so my crew is going to go down and probably bring some medical stuff. If you want to come, we got an extra seat in the van. The thought of driving down to Los Angeles to deal with Proud Boys doesn't excite you, especially on an already stressful day. You think about it for a few minutes. Images of the people maimed during and after the recent rallies floods your mind. Your buddies know more about organizing and protests than you do, but you have more medical training. You decide you'll do it. You reply, I'll come with, and pack some extra IFAX and tourniquets. Among the issues Republican recall challengers have raised to attack Newsom, forest mismanagement has loomed large among the recent complaints. This type of thing harkens back to Trump's old habit of blaming the governor and not raking enough leaves for California's fiery plight. 
On a larger scale, this can be seen as part of an effort to push all the blame of wildfires off of oil, gas, and our transformation of the climate, and onto a simple lack of fire prevention measures. This narrative, of course, makes the fossil fuel industry more happy. The thing is, all of these things are contributing factors for California's wildfire problem. Climate change caused hotter temperatures and droughts makes fires easier to catch and spread, and inadequate forest management plus above-ground power lines do the same. Just because there are bad faith attacks on Newsom doesn't mean there aren't actual failures he's made as governor, especially in relation to the forests. An investigation from Cap Radio and California NPR, published last June, found out Newsom had grossly misrepresented and flat-out lied about his promises of new wildfire prevention efforts. Elements of the piece were of course used by Larry Elder and the right to push for support of the recall, but the article itself is a very fine piece of journalism. Back when Newsom first took office in January of 2019, one of the first things he did was sign an executive order overhauling how California handles wildfire prevention and forest management. The measures included removal of hazardous dead trees, vegetation clearing, creation of fuel breaks in community defensible spaces, and creation of ingress and egress corridors. In January 2020, a year after Newsom's initial announcement, the governor's office claimed in a press release that under the executive order's priority projects, 90,000 acres got treated with these fire prevention measures. But according to data obtained by Cap Radio and NPR, the actual number of acres treated by these priority projects was only 11,399, just 13% of the number Newsom boasted about. Quoting the piece by Cap Radio, quote, Data shows Cal Fire's fuel reduction output dropped by half in 2020, to levels below Governor Jerry Brown's final year in office. At the same time, Newsom slashed roughly $150 million from Cal Fire's wildfire prevention budget. In 2020, 4.3 million acres burned, the most in California's recorded history. That was more than double the previous record set in 2018 when the campfire destroyed the town of Paradise, ultimately killing 85 people. A decade ago, Cal Fire was trading a paltry 17,000 acres annually. That number has steadily climbed. Though Newsom misrepresented the number of acres treated in his priority projects, the overall amount of wildfire mitigation work carried out by Cal Fire spiked in his first year of office to 64,000 acres. But in 2020, fuel reduction totals plummeted to less than 32,000 acres, a roughly 50% drop, unquote. Multiple factors contributed to 2020's subpar fire prevention and reduction efforts. In 2019, the year with the largest number of acres treated in recent history, the state budget allotted for $355 million for wildfire prevention and resource management. But after the COVID-19 pandemic hit California in early 2020, Newsom cut the budget by 40%, down to $203 million. On top of the budget cuts, the fires themselves made prevention work more challenging. 2020's wildfire season started out early, which resulted in less time to do prescribed burns and thinnings because the same teams that are tasked with prevention and fuel reduction often also serve as firefighters once the fires break out. As of May 2021, Cal Fire has treated over 23,000 acres throughout the year. This puts California on a trajectory better than last year's total, but not as high as the 60,000-plus acres treated in 2019. 
Newsom has been trying to make up for his missteps and gross exaggerations. Quoting the Cap Radio report again, quote, Newsom is trying to play catch-up. With the state enjoying an unexpected surplus, Newsom proposed $2 billion in spending on wildfires and emergency preparedness, with $1.2 billion going towards wildfire resiliency in the upcoming budget. Experts say the increase in prevention spending could help the state get closer to a less dangerous wildfire season over time. But they also expressed concern over whether the state will sustain that commitment for years to come. Unquote. Revelations about Newsom's and Cal Fire's lies and lackluster forest management were quickly jumped on by Larry Elder and other Republican challengers as an easy way to attack Newsom and to move the conversation about wildfires away from climate change. Elder has said he has quote-unquote no idea why more prevention and reduction measures aren't being done, and when he becomes governor, he'll be quote, implementing these commonsensical kinds of plans so that we can reduce the severity of these fires, unquote. Elder has given no concrete plans on what measures he'll be shooting to implement or any indication on how much money will be directed to prevent or fight fires. On the note of budgets, Elder has said that the more recent spending on wind and solar power has left, quote, less money for removing trees and putting power lines underground, the kind of things that would make these fires less intense, unquote. And he promises to drastically cut spending on renewables, while also investing more in oil and gas. To be clear, Newsom's upcoming budget contains billions for both fire prevention slash fuel reduction and renewable energy such as wind and solar. Whoever ends up governing California is not only in charge of local politics, like governors in other states. What happens in California affects people across the country and even globally. Whether that's wildfire smoke traveling across continents, or changes to supply chains and industry rippling across the world. California is, after all, the world's fifth largest economy. There are also political ramifications that could affect the state as a whole if Elder gets in office. The Senate is currently a 50-50 split between Republicans and Democrats, with Vice President Kamala Harris getting the tie-breaking vote. One of California's senators is 88-year-old Dianne Feinstein, the oldest active senator. If she dies in office or has to step down due to medical reasons before her term is over, the governor of California gets to appoint her replacement. If Elder appoints a Republican, then the Senate will be back under GOP control. And given his connections to the far-right media sphere, the list of potentials that Elder could appoint is frightening. This is by no means inevitable, even if Elder gets into office. If he does, Feinstein does have the brief opportunity to step down and put a replacement in before the new governor is sworn into office. However, Feinstein has said she has no plans of doing so. Reports of her declining health have become only more common in recent years, but like many politicians and judges, she's not keen on stepping aside even to possibly help prevent a disastrous outcome. Changes in the Senate are not required for horrible outcomes in the wake of an even brief elder governorship. His anti-vax sentiments and plan to open up the state and remove basically all COVID restrictions will result in hospitals being pushed to max capacity. Elder has said he has plans to appoint education officials similar to former Secretary Betsy DeVos and judicial appointees like conservative Supreme Court Justice Clarice Thomas. Elder has stated his intention of declaring states of emergency and using executive orders to push through otherwise unpopular legislation, 
He has discussed plans to declare an education emergency in order to fire upwards of 21,000 quote-unquote bad teachers. Elder blames teacher unions for quote, protecting bad teachers, and in a recent interview stated, quote, Someone told me that between 5% and 7% of public school teachers need to be fired. An emergency declaration would give the power to get rid of bad teachers faster than the system allows. Once you did that, automatically education would improve overnight, unquote. Now, Elder has not specified who had advised him on teacher terminations or how he plans to weed out the so-called bad teachers out of the 300,000 in the school system. He's also touted plans to declare a homeless emergency, but his solutions have nothing to do with actually helping homeless people. His homeless emergency declaration would allow him to suspend the California Environmental Quality Act, the law requiring environmental review of building projects. Elder's stated goal is to unleash developers and contractors without environmental regulation, which he claims, quote, treats developers and contractors like criminals, unquote, and allows building projects to get suspended indefinitely, ultimately raising the cost of housing, in his opinion. One of the more frightening aspects of Larry Elder is his close ties to many far-right propagandists. He's done work for PragerU, Epic Times, and has been a guest on Fox News at least 220 times in the past five years. In the last episode, we discussed his friendship with Dennis Prager. Also, Dave Rubin just recently campaigned for Elder at a recent rally. And a month and a half ago, Elder was on Candace Owens' show, discussing how the descendants of slave owners deserve reparations for having their property, i.e. black people, stolen from them when the slaves were freed. Those are his words, not mine. What's probably most concerning is Elder's connection to Stephen Miller. In fact, we wouldn't have Stephen Miller if it were not for Larry Elder. Back in the late 90s, a conservative student from Santa Monica High School would call into Larry Elder's show to rant about his school's liberal culture. Reportedly, the student would go around demanding staff and fellow students regularly recite the Pledge of Allegiance. He railed against condom giveaways and called Spanish language announcements, quote, a crutch preventing Spanish speakers from standing on their own, unquote. Young Californians calling into Elder's show and agreeing with him wasn't very common, and Elder ate it up. He loved talking with the student so much that he let the kid on basically any time he wanted a platform to rant and rave. You know where this is going. That student was Stephen Miller. According to Miller, he appeared on Elder's show 69 times throughout his time in high school and university, and calls Elder, quote, the one true guide I've always had, unquote. Miller's appearances on Elder's radio show made him a recognizable figure in the larger conservative media world, helping him connect with Steve Bannon and eventually President Trump. By extension, Elder was Stephen Miller's on-ramp to the White House. In an email to Miller in 2016, Elder told him, quote, I hope to live to see the day when you become president. When media has brought up his friendship with Stephen Miller, Elder tries very quickly to change the subject. When pushed on the topic in a recent interview, Elder shot back with, quote, Why would you bring up Stephen Miller? I'm just wondering what the agenda here is. What's the point? Am I somehow, what, a Nazi? A fascist? Unquote. I think that says enough. The reason we haven't discussed the other candidates in the recall election is because 
At this point, if Newsom is recalled, it's absolutely certain that Elder will be the one to succeed him. He has a 20-point lead ahead other challengers, but that lead is still only a tiny fraction of the total electorate, which demonstrates the part of the problem in California's recall process. There are other Republican challengers with concerning pasts and beliefs. Lots of anti-mask, anti-trans, anti-vax, total disbelief in climate change, people spouting QAnon-originated conspiracy claims, advocating the lie that the presidential election was stolen, and there's even a Democrat challenger that plans to use the National Guard to round up all homeless people and put them in concentration camps. But Elder himself shares a lot of those views, and uses the fact that he's black as a shield for criticism against his racist and nationalist policies and ideas. We haven't even mentioned that last month, Elder's ex-fiancée came out and said that Elder was extremely abusive and had threatened her with a loaded gun. In early August, polls were showing pretty much neck and neck for the first question on the ballot, yes or no on the recall itself. A Survey USA poll from that time even had 40% of respondents vote no on the recall and 51% vote yes to remove Newsom. Throughout August and September, results started to flip the other direction as ads against the recall hit the airwaves and internet. The latest Survey USA poll has 54% voting no on the recall and 41% voting yes. Other polls hover around the same 10-15 point lead for Newsom staying in office. Now, with polls not going the way Elder and the GOP would like, we're starting to see a new, yet familiar narrative being prepared. On, on, my, on my website, electelder.com, we have a voter integrity project. We have lawyers all set up, all ready to go to file lawsuits in a timely fashion. The reason the lawsuits did not, did not work in the 2020 election, we know what happened there, is because the lawsuits were filed too late and many of them were dismissed on procedural grounds. Courts don't like to overturn an election. So when you hear of anything suspicious, we've heard a lot of things that have been suspicious so far, go to electelder.com. We're going to sick our lawyers on them, file lawsuits right away. They're going to cheat. We know that. But I'll tell you what. So many people are angry about the crime, about the homelessness, about the way he shut down this state, about the fact that one-third of all small businesses, many of them are owned by black and brown and Asian American people that they care about, about the declining quality of schools, about the fact that people are leaving, rolling brownouts, lack of water. So many people are angry. The number of people that are going to vote to recall this man is going to be so overwhelming so that even when they cheat, they're still going to lose. That's Larry Elder saying that if he doesn't win, that means the election must have been stolen. Fox News has been promoting the same idea the past month. All of it is in the vein of the Stop the Steal movement post the 2020 presidential election, culminating with the attempted insurrection on January 6th. Here's Elder again on Fox News in early September. But you're right, I am concerned about voter fraud. And that's why I'm asking people to go to electelder.com. That's my website. We have a voter integrity project set up with a bunch of lawyers ready to file lawsuits if anybody sees anything suspicious. Big 2020 election fraud conspiracy proponent and former House Speaker Newt Gingrich was one of the first people to chime in to stoke disinformation about the recall election. And I think this may well be the most rigged statewide election uh, we've seen probably in at least a half century. Uh, and I think the evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. 
Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. People should look carefully at this because there's pretty good evidence that if Newsom is in a straight, honest count, he probably has a good chance of losing. But if they can stuff every ballot box in California and they can cheat in every way possible. And of course, this type of propaganda has made it onto the most watched cable news show on air, Tucker Carlson. California does not get the credit it deserves for the corruption that's endemic there. It's a one party state and they act like it. And you've got to have concerns about whether this recall election will be free and fair. Are you concerned? Well, of course I'm concerned, Tucker. I'm involved in election integrity efforts throughout the United States, and I'm also a member of the Republican National Committee. So we have a team of lawyers that is ready to deploy throughout the state here, and we are monitoring things every single day. Just a couple of hours ago, I filed a lawsuit to intervene in a challenge to the constitutionality of the recall statute, because frankly, I don't trust the Secretary of State or the Attorney General, who are both appointed by the governor, to defend him in this regard. And so we are going to be jumping on every potential opportunity to do that and fight back against the Democrats. Of course, they are uh, playing fast and loose. We've seen some very alarming scenes of 300 ballots uh, bundled together in the car of a person with a gun and some drugs. And so we are definitely looking into all of these issues. But 
Tucker, ultimately it's going to come down to how much do people want to change in California. And I can tell you, even living in my latte sipping, avocado toast uh, eating, you know, Lululemon wearing neighborhood in San Francisco, people are fed up with the crime, the drugs, the homelessness, yeah. the intermittent electricity and everything else that is uh, wrong with California. So people want to change here. It's just not working. And this really is a test of whether our system works. I mean, can people get better leadership? That's kind of the question. Will there be election observers on the scene so the rest of us can know this was fair? Well, 100 uh, percent. The problem in California is that the voting doesn't just take place on Election Day like it would in a normal place. It takes it's taking place now on a rolling basis through mail in voting. It's 100 percent mail in ballots this time around. And it is going to take place for 30 days after the election if it's close because they have 30 days to count the vote. That's 60 days of voting. And of course, a lot of shenanigans can occur and ballots yeah. can disappear. So we are going to be observing it very closely and demanding accountability and filing lawsuits wherever we need to to hold the Democrats accountable because we cannot trust them. Yeah, I, I hope so. People want to believe the system works, that it's real, that they have power, that their vote matters. So I appreciate what you're doing. Harmeet Dillon, thank you. A lot of what's said in that last clip is either extremely misrepresented or just flat out lies. Those 300 ballots found in a car were actually part of a larger mail theft thing, not related to the election at all. Voters have received new ballots. And for this election, just like the last one, Californians have the option to vote in person, to mail in ballots, or deliver them in a drop box. The deadline to drop off, mail, or place your vote is September 14th. Counting cannot start till the 14th either, and like every election, there will be observers throughout the entire counting process. Obviously, this isn't the first time conservative media has hyped up election fraud, the last presidential election being the biggest instance to date. But what is concerning here is that they're setting up a template to use for all future elections whenever Republicans lose. Here's a Fox clip from September 7th. The only thing that will save Gavin Newsom is voter fraud. So as they say, stay woke, pay attention to the voter fraud going on in California because it's going to have big consequences not only for that state, but for upcoming elections. It's safe to assume that Stop the Steal-esque strategies will be used almost every time a Republican loses in an election going forward. We've seen exactly what this type of rhetoric and propaganda leads to, and it ends in blood. There were multiple attacks on state capitals during the Stop the Steal rallies prior to January 6th. In some places, like Salem, Oregon, they succeeded in getting inside the capitol. Even if Newsom gets to stay in office, there will still be many problems. Election conspiracies and the possibility of violence like January 6th just being one. We haven't wanted to righteously defend Newsom here. He's a politician, and inept in many ways. He deserves plenty of criticism, especially on the issues of climate change. But the criticism levied at Newsom from the likes of Elder and the GOP are based on bigotry, nationalism, and climate denial. Newsom should be our punching bag, not theirs. I'm Eve Rodsky, author of the New York Times bestseller Fair Play and Find Your Unicorn Space, activist on the gender division of labor, attorney, and family mediator. And I'm Dr. Aditi Narukar, a Harvard physician and medical correspondent with an expertise in the science of stress, resilience, mental health, and burnout. We're so excited to share our podcast, Time Out, a production of iHeart Podcasts, 
and Hello Sunshine. We're uncovering why society makes it so hard for women to treat their time with the value it deserves. So take this time out with us. Listen to Time Out, a fair play podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. We controlled the courts. We controlled absolutely everything. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. From my perspective, Bob was too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. I wouldn't trust that guy. He looks like a little scumbag liar, stool pigeon. He looked like what he was, a rat. I can say with all certainty, I think he's a hero because he didn't have to do what he did, and he did it anyway. The moment I put the wire on the first time, my life was over. If it ever got out, they would kill me in a heartbeat. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect Presents features honest conversations and exclusive interviews. A space for artists, everyday people, and listeners to amplify, elevate, and empower Black voices with great conversations. Make sure to listen to the Black Effect Presents podcast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Greetings and welcome to It Could Happen Here. I'm Garrison Davis. I am a researcher and writer on the podcast team. Today, we have a roundtable discussion uh, with a group of uh, researchers who look into extremism and political uh, political violence, uh, usually stemming from uh, far-right propagandists and people in that kind of whole sphere. So we have a, a discussion relating to climate change and all these other things that I was able to record with these uh, fine people. It's split up into two sections. So part one is coming out today. Part two is coming out tomorrow. Highly recommend you listen to both. Uh, maybe, maybe even back to back at some point, because it does really give a, a nice rounded out um, uh, view of what we were talking about. So without further ado, here is my discussion with like, I don't know, well, not not a dozen, but a, 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 lot, a large amount of terrorism researchers, uh, as we are all uh, in the woods, as you will soon find out. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the uh, the Daily Show. I am Garrison Davis, and I am recording in an undisclosed location in the woods. Um, we are we uh, me and a few a few internet colleagues are all hiding from the world for a week to reset our poisoned brains. But I'm going to slightly repoison us here for about an hour to have a discussion about climate change and uh, terrorism because all we have a group of people here who are all who all research the bad thing online uh, a lot so I'm going to try to try to use to, to take advantage of having this uh, unique group of people all in one location to have this nice discussion for you guys but yeah specifically we want we want to talk about how we how each of us as an you know quote unquote expert in certain fields um, see climate change impacting impacting uh, extremism and terrorism in the next in the next few decades. Um, and yes, we are recording in the forest. So if you hear sounds like we're in the forest, that's because we are. Um, you you guys already know me, or you probably do. But I'm gonna we're gonna go around a circle, probably starting on my left, um, introducing the people. And yeah, just give a brief 
a brief uh, brief bio, however detailed you want to get into. Okay. Uh, my name's Matt Taylor. I'm a journalist and researcher focusing on cults, um, conspiracy theories, and extremism. And today is my birthday. Happy birthday, Matt, in the, in the past. Uh, my name's Theo. I am a journalist and researcher as well. I mostly focus on the American militia movement and paramilitary groups. I'm Toothpick. I'm with uh, Theo, Matt, Emmy, and... Big Newhouse isn't here on Terrorism Bat. I uh, that's that's a that's a podcast, by the way. Self plug. Um, I my research and reporting focuses on mainly on conspiracy theories and where that overlaps uh, with political extremism and the focus on connections between uh, U.S. and Europe, uh, especially Germany. Uh, I'm Peter Smith. I'm a journalist with the Canadian Anti Hate Network and the host of the Unusual Show podcast. I'm Lily, and I focus on extremism and counterterrorism and data analysis. And I'm Emmy. I do digital propaganda and rhetoric. So that 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 is our little crew. Um, yeah, let's see what the uh, first thing we kind of want to talk about. I'm guessing is how we see. Like small, because like the, the podcast is more about like smaller local collapses. Like we we don't. There's not going to be one big collapse. We're going to see small things start to fall apart. And how we see when small things fall apart, what we do we see filling in those gaps? Specifically, I think this will tie into the militia movement a lot in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, you guys can start sp- sprouting off your your knowledge. Yeah. So one of the things that I've been thinking of and following, and I don't know. Uh, if this has made as much of an impact in U.S. media. Um, But in the last month, um, parts of Germany and the Netherlands experienced um, really bad flooding um, that that literally wiped out some villages and some towns. Um, And one of the things that uh, we've seen in Germany is, you know, far-right groups. um, There isn't really a militia movement because of the laws there, but but far-right groups rushing in um, and collecting aid and going for photo ops uh, in those catastrophe areas. Um, and what that does make me think of, and maybe Theo can talk more about this, uh, is we've seen similar stuff in the U.S. with the militia movement marking themselves as you know emergency preparedness um, or marking themselves in that way and positioning themselves where when you know the government is unable to respond that these groups are able to come in um, and also using that for their messaging and for their rhetoric. Yeah, so, I mean, that is something that you see in the U.S. Uh, the biggest example, Garrison and I talked about this earlier, but uh, during the wildfires in Oregon last year, you saw checkpoints being established by militia groups, whether al- already formed militia groups or kind of impromptu armed bands. Uh, and you also see that as like a big marketing thing. I know a lot of the Virginia-based militias that I follow went out to Tennessee uh, two, one or two years ago when the tornadoes happened. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah, they did a bunch of kind of aid and photo ops. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, just not to dox myself, but I'm from Nashville and then... Uh, Beginning of 2020 in March, right before coronavirus. Someone just dropped a toy gun. Great job, guys. Yeah, so in the beginning uh, of March of 
last year, right before COVID hit Nashville, we had a huge tornado go through Nashville itself and wipe out um, like two different neighborhoods and then a rural town right outside of Nashville. Uh, but you saw a lot of like, so the community comes together in this really nice display of mutual aid to do all the cleanup basically before any official crews could get there. But with that, you also saw like these far right groups coming in for photo ops and it just, it normalizes their presence in heavily impacted areas. And it was not, not ideal. Yeah. A lot of the American militia movement, especially the modern kind of post 2008 three percenter strain of it is predicated on this idea of a complete breakdown of order or a loss of civil order, however you conceive of that. And um, these like climate disasters that are going to hit areas are going to kind of provide a self-fulfilling prophecy for these people to step in and say, like, oh, no, you need some sort of armed force. You need some sort of group of people to keep order and to keep law in whatever way they conceive of that. I do think it's interesting you guys talking about kind of like the photo op thing that they do, because when the wildfires happened in Oregon, all of the, the actual like relief work was done by anti-fascists. Like we, you know, like people in Portland, we set up, you know, these these massive camps to help, you know, all these like, you know, much more conservative people who, who, right. who had to evacuate their evacuate their homes. And they were all getting fed and all like their clothes and stuff were coming from anti-fascists. And the all the right did was do the armed checkpoints thing. I find it interesting that like, in the South, where there's less anti-fascists, like, you know, compared to the general, compared to, like, Portland, right, how some of those groups actually do do some of the relief effort. Um, and that that's definitely not the case up here in the in, in the West Coast. Oh, yeah. I mean, last year, I remember a uh, few county-level militias that I follow in Virginia were, like, seriously doing relief work. Like, they were gathering food. They were taking out to places affected by flooding in North Carolina, by tornadoes in Tennessee... It's not, I wouldn't go so far as to call it mutual aid, because it lacks the kind of ideological framework for that, but they are providing some sort of infrastructure. I think mutual aid for their guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With, yeah. The, yeah with, with less of, like, the theory side of mutual aid, but, like, and I'm sure there's someone else who can speak more on this, but, like, from my perspective, growing up in a super weird church, I see this inter- interacting, I see this, like, combining with local churches a lot as well. Um, I'm not sure there's anyone else here who could say something more intelligently than me about how, like, religion will combine with these, like, kind of militia efforts. Well, a lot of, like, eco, eco-extremists, like, on the far right, on the very, very fringe far right, can, um start to, like, be very esoteric about their, you know, belief in climate change. And they start to sort of frame it as, like, a reason for the collapse, um, that we need collapse, or attacking infrastructure, like, for the purpose of somehow saving the planet, even though it's really not going to get them anywhere. Really need it. We have to do a lot of our own work on the planet. We can't just destroy everything and see if it works. Yeah, out. we can definitely bring up uh, accelerationists yeah. and accelerationism as a as an over overarching thing that is you know not just it, it, it not to be like horseshoe theory about it, but but accelerationism pops up in a whole whole lot of areas, um, including areas of the left where it becomes very unuseful, um, and it can lead to like a lot of wasted time and some destructive tendencies. I mean, I think that point kind of also provides an interesting through line between more mainstream militias and, like, the really esoteric brands of eco-fascism or ecologically-based extremism 
is that like they're both very influenced by like colonial schools of thought, uh, like eco fascism and all that is kind of predicated on this idea of like terra nullis. Like, uh, there is this perfect, empty, wild land that we can have. Manifest destiny. Exactly. And, like, so much of the ideas of order and, um, like, peacekeeping that you find within more mainstream militia movements come from this exact same type of thinking, where it's like a colonial order that you need to keep. Yeah, I know there's a lot of a lot of people on the left who are in, like, the kind of... Um, like you know, green, green, like, like eco-socialist or like green anarchist kind of strains. We get very frustrated when people talk about eco-fascism, which I, I can understand because no one really means the same thing when they talk about it. Sometimes they just mean any like ter- any like quote-unquote terrorism that has like uh has like an environmental purpose. Some people, you know, when they think of eco-fascism, they think of like overpopulation. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things they mean mean by it. But I know we we've all had talks about like what we personally view as like eco-fascism because it, it, it's, it's not just eco-extremism uh, like eco-extremism does not equal fascism like there is there's a whole bunch of eco-extremists who are very anti-fascist um and there is some who kind of bridge bridge the gap you know like 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 ITS has some more fascist tendencies but I would not accurately call them fascist based on the type of stuff they do the type of writing they do they do not have they, they do not check all of the boxes um, and, but then, then we do have people who I would accurately describe as eco-fascists who have done, who've done, you know, mass shootings, who have a lot of eco, who have eco-fascist stuff, either in the, the writing that they like or their own manifestos, they bring up enough points. It's like, yeah, you kind of fall into this broad category. Does someone here want to give their personal definition of eco-fascism? This isn't this, not necessarily exactly what we use for the pod, but I just, I'm interested to hear, there's a lot of people with various backgrounds, everyone has their own specialized knowledge, what kind of, when people say that, what, what do you kind of put into that category? People believe in, like, this organic law and, like, natural order, and they believe that, like, there is a natural hierarchy ingrained in everything. And they think that, generally, like, if we return to, like, some kind of primitive society or, like, you know... Uh, they'll assume that, like, everything has uh, its own structure and that there's going to be people who rise to the top, people who just, you know, uh, don't belong in that kind of society. It's going to be really damaging for, like, the elderly, for disabled people, and they just sort of see it as, like, survival of the fittest. Um, And I think that's, like, a much more eco-fascist point of view rather than like a more green anarchist point of view where things would sort of even out um, rather than become a hierarchical Yeah, yeah, I think hierarchy system. is an important yeah. part of that and how we, you know, there is like a lot of green anarchists who are focusing on like making their own medication for, for you know, people with diabetes and stuff and that's mm-hmm. kind of stuff that is like really interesting to look at and stuff that we should absolutely pursue because yeah. we'll become less reliant on supply chains and we don't really see eco-fascists doing that. Yeah, <laughs> we, do not, we do not see them focusing on making medication for people. Oh, no. <laughs> um, maybe I can kind of set some people up to say more stuff if I say this real quickly. But one of the things that I always, or that, that is a red flag for me, is, is just you know, bringing in these very traditional discussions of gender roles and, and relating that to the environment. Yeah. Any of our rhetoric people. Can you give an example? I mean, I don't. I, I, we don't need to say names of specific like writers or people, but there's definitely a way in which to like describe like the gender roles. Sure, yeah. Stop works. playing with the toy gun! Oh my god. <laughs> um, just, just like establishing 
And it is kind of, it can be kind of like an older left thing too, but establishing, you know, ecological discussions within framework of traditional gender roles um, and kind of like what is expected of people based on their sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is this is the dark side of cottage core. Yes, yeah. um, when, <laughs> that's so, one way to put it. Yeah, Emmy, you want to get in here? Oh boy, yeah. Emmy likes cottage core. Oh, I love cottage I, core. I like, I like parts of cottage core, just not when it intersects with a certain strain of politics. Oh right, well, like queer cottage core is extremely cute. Sure. Until. Until yeah. Until. Well, until you're not queer, and uh, this, yeah. What? Sometimes oh. they still are. Now. Here's the thing, when we're when we're dealing with like traditional gender role stuff, it's a really like slippery slope into more aggressive strains of thought. Yeah. So when we're when we're talking about you know, the idea of of the class, stop playing with the toy gun. I will you throw you out of this ATF. I will throw you out of this podcast. I don't want that. We will turn. <laughs> we will turn this podcast turn it around. Podcast. It's Matt's birthday. You ass. Toothpick apologizing. Yeah. Okay. Have fun editing. <laughs> <laughs> Continue editing. Yeah. Rip to the editor. I wouldn't know what that's All like. All this stays in. So, oh, good. So, when they're talking about the claps, and they want, you know. They think uh, the, the rod of modernity will be gone. Society will be ended. They can they can you know rebuild from the ground up smaller communities, and uh, they can they can build the society they want, which is largely ethno nationalist. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. Uh, the The idea is that there will be this this super traditional family structure. You're going to have your your uh, this combined uh, strong warrior, also homesteading man, and your uh, cool trad wife. Yeah. Um, no. Who never ages above thirty no. in this society? No. Like it oh, just doesn't age a high range. Doesn't age doesn't above twenty five. I'm, I'm being generous here, yeah. assuming that at least like some of these people have a little bit of like okay. pre planning, but they don't. They don't. Um, and <laughs> they they step on each other a lot, right? Because they have this this whole plan for this uh, this society free. Of industry, um, and they can't stop posting about it on the yeah, internet, which is pretty funny. Which is really funny, right? They like they're not—they're not, like the not good at it. Yeah, they're like way too addicted to posting to like actually commit to like the true no. off the grid trad life. At least, at least ten k was off the grid. We don't gotta hand it to you him. You gotta hand it to him. We don't gotta hand it to him. We don't gotta hand it to him. You gotta hand it to him. You under no circumstances gotta hand. Pod is pod is divided on how much we gotta hand it to ten k. The official stance of terrorism bad is that terrorism is bad. Why don't we just bring them on? It is kind of a concern when they do end up, when they stop posting. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's a concern when they're posting, but it's kind of more concerning. You 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 would rather than just keep posting sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's the same as like looking at a kid that wants to be a firefighter or something. Like they're just talking. They're not going to do it. But you see some of them doing it. And when they're doing the thing, the lifestyle influencer version of fascism. Yeah. Do you think that it's going to affect kind of like laws about living off grid and laws about like yes. for for normal people who just well, want to get the fuck out? Like. I actually just read something about this. There is some guy who'd been living off grid in Pennsylvania for like thirty years, and I don't remember the details of this. And we don't have internet out here. Old guy. Yeah, it was an yeah, old they, guy. Like, burned his house down. Yeah, yeah. he's, he's yeah. in jail now. Uh, he's probably going to be in jail for the rest of his life, and I think. Part of whether it comes from the left or the right, as people kind of start to try to build resiliency within communities for disasters that are coming and start to seek ways of living that do not rely on supply chains and do not rely on the state, 
the state will strike back against that as a consolidation of power. Because the more that people move away from it, whether on the left or right, the less power the state has. I mean, in Utilizing counterterrorism is an excuse to do so. Yeah, because exactly. they're giving them reasons. And, yeah. and it's not it's not going to get enforced equally. Mm, I'm that, sure the oh, government's yeah. going to focus on certain people doing this and be slightly more okay with other people doing it. It will. Um, well, yeah, what's, so I, I would like to talk about Canada a little bit, because specifically... Climate change affecting Canada is going to be very. It's going to be slightly different in most of it compared to the states. Because I mean, I've been I've been I've been having my 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 waist deep in climate science books for most of 2021, um, and Canada's going to probably see economic boosts, um, and they're probably the states probably just going to act get actually stronger because of how same thing with Russia. Uh, both Canada and Russia are going to get more economically powerful under climate change because of how much more crops are going to get moved up. How? Give me your thoughts on Canada, because Canada's my backup plan. As soon as stuff gets too spicy in the states, I'm t- I'm taking my Canadian passport and hiding in the woods. Um, how? How? What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's it's interesting to hear you guys talk about American militia culture, because we we definitely in our rhetoric and propaganda that we see in Canada, it gets borrowed a lot. The talking points from the states, like the the concepts, uh, but what we don't have are these strong organized militia groups. We had three percenters for a while, um, and who still exist, but they were they were big about being off-grid. Like They were the ones who weren't posting for a long time. Um, and it seems like, as much as all these people are still around, they've largely deflated down. Because um, well, Canada's made some, some efforts to call them terrorists, right? Right. Very recently, yeah. we designated them as a terrorist organization, yeah. um, which doesn't carry a, a criminal charge, but if you... If you do something involved with them, you send them money. Like there is, there are consequences yeah, yeah, yeah. to that. Legal enhancements. Okay. Um, but our our kind of militia culture focuses on the illegitimacy of the state that Canada is founded. It's very kind of sobsit uh, type rhetoric, but that Canada's establishment, its its rules, and especially with all the public health measures, it's this growing uh, this growing kind of tide of thought. In both the prairies and largely out west. Yeah. I grew up in Saskatchewan. Um, uh, most of my family is in Alberta. I know when, when I look at when I because I, I keep a soft eye on some Canadian hate groups just because I'm Canadian. Most of them pop up around Alberta. Um, where do you see this stuff kind of like happening? Like, do you see any of this on the East Coast? If so, is it smaller or is this mostly on like a West Coast Canada thing? Well, that like that conspiratorial thought we've we've seen kind of across the country. Like on the East Coast, you know, just recently we had people setting up their own version of checkpoints um, as like a protest against the uh, the public health measures. Okay, yeah. And like the whole eastern part of Canada is in its own bubble. Yes. Right now, um, but yeah, you had this like conspiracy based movement forming these actual checkpoints, and then the main. Part of it, though, is probably going to be out west. Okay, like, that is where these ideas are the most popular, or yeah, the most popular. That, that makes sense. Where mainstream politicians are moving towards, you know, amplifying these type of talking points. Yeah, um, is, is, do you see that? Like, is that is that is that a mostly Alberta thing? <laughs> it's a mostly like prairies, Alberta, prairies, like okay. the farmland. The interesting part is though, when you talk about groups, is like in Canada, groups are an urban phenomenon. For the most part, okay. Huh. Most of our organization takes place around the city centers, and th- that is very different from the states. With the states, it's, it's usually the usually the opposite. 
in some there's there's always exceptions of two minimum people live, but generally we see it as more as more of a rural thing when mm. the troops organize, whereas cities are more like liberal, and that's where like the anti-fascist groups are based. Um, but it's kind of these like these little ideological pockets that exist all over, and certainly that sentiment is probably shared. But the uh, the need to mobilize seems to mostly focus on the urban centers, and then we'd never have our groups like, they providing any kind of aid. To yeah. People. That's just, a, or even checkpoints. Like that's beyond these like very recent protest movements. I know, I mean, there has been you know more forest fires around BC, um, around you know what, uh, Western Alberta. Um, how do you see the government's response to these types of things right now? I know Canada's in a, in a, in a particular situation with um, the Liberals having minority control. Um, and you know the, the, the Canadian parliament, parliamentary system is probably confusing to a lot of Americans if they don't understand it already. Um, but yeah, how how what do you what do you see on on that front? Because I know you know Justin both, both both Trudeau and Biden talk the talk around like pipelines and stuff, but then do the complete opposite. Um, how do you kind of see this kind of stuff working right now for for like on the on the climate side of things? Well, yeah, our our reaction to the firefighters, or sorry, our reaction to the the wildfires. Um, I mean, the government response is always looked down on, like it's always looked at poorly. Um, but none of these people are taking this as an opportunity to kind of change minds, kind of do PR, um, there's much less reaction to it. Most, like, the West also, there's this incredible feeling of alienation because of the way that our government is set up. They have substantially less, or they have substantially less voting power. Yeah, the same way in the states, how, you know, there's like, there's like southern states or states in the Midwest who feel like they don't really have any power politically. Same thing for almost the entire, entire West Coast of Canada, everything from like Manitoba to Alberta and parts of B.C., you know, everyone is very frustrated at at, 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 at the at, at the federales um, and how they really don't have control for what's happening. It'll be like, yeah, people on the east coast are controlling what what our what our pipelines or what our mines are doing, and that does not fair to our workers because yeah, it is it does suck when you know a, a, a mine closes and then everyone in a small town is out of business. Like mm. the part the part right up in Canada, all my family around them, you know, used to be in, you know bustling small towns that are basically all all now ghost towns. Because stuff closed, people had to move to either like. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve 
with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Calgary, Edmonton, Regina, don't laugh. Um, so, you know, all, all these specific things, you know. We see pockets of this. We, we, we see pockets... <laughs> we see pockets of this in like the Midwest and the States, definitely. Uh, I don't think also is like like manifest destiny shit because like there's a lot of they that are Canada, pe- yeah. a lot of it started with people kind of moving outward to try and gain more land and make their borders um, larger and like live further out to like try and uh, know, obtain more territory um, and with the like, Canadian big surge in, like, indigenous rights and a big focus and shift to, like, sort of give them land back or something? I'm not exactly clear on what the Canadian stances are on that. What? Oh, just, like, I mean, we have a big movement mm-hmm. from indigenous populations to... They seem very, like, dichotomous, like... Well, I, there's so many different bands and mm-hmm. tribes and different types of nations. Um, like, we have unceded territory, and the dynamics with which the government is supposed to deal with and has agreed to deal with and actually does deal with them is all vastly different. Um, but yeah, that, that idea of this focus on these particular issues, like indigenous issues, um, even our attempts to, you know, have a greener economy, you know, for a place that for a long time and still is an extraction economy. Yes. Um, <laughs> How does yeah. that, like, affect the... the it's, a, it's an oil company with healthcare. Yeah. More like extremist far-right groups who want to move out that way. Um, for the purpose of organizing, and you also have the indigenous focus within the liberal government. So, like, how do those two groups, do you think, like, interact? Uh, Like, the general conception is that the push for indigenous rights, especially on the farther right, is is for the disenfranchisement of white Europeans. Like, Mm -hmm. it is... um, and then, yeah, you do have this Western exodus where we have very popular figures who are moving further west because there are these stronger ideas of sovereignty. Um, I forget what exactly it was polling, but when the Western exit or Wexit movement started, you know, there was a significant amount of popular, yeah. or at least like not strong support, but like existing support. There was there was there was a there was a large amount of support. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see what happens though. Talking about collapse, like you know, in these small towns, in 
like cloistered communities, mm-hmm. um, you know, they already feel cut off from the government and not represented. And then yeah. if you have a breakdown of infrastructure, you know, that'll create... Like, why do we even have them in the first place if they're not helping us? Exactly. Which, is, which, which is true, which is like a well, real thing to think about, but their solutions are wildly different than the actual solutions to help people. Right. And we've already right. seen how this plays out in the past as well, with, um, you know, places where uh, the infrastructure starts to break down and then people who have weapons kind of become the authority just based on the fact that they have more power. Yeah, I, Yeah. so one of the things that I follow is a lot of kind of like the more, let's characterize it as, as boomer-esque conspiracy theories, um, especially with anti-vax, anti-public health measures type thing. Um, and one of the things that, that, that really is noticeable to me is how much more sovereign citizen stuff is creeping up into those areas. Um, and especially, you know, there, there are two really big examples of, you know, if there's an anti-vax protest in your city, it's probably one of these two networks that both come from Europe um, that I'm not going to name right now. Um, and those two networks also, you know, love to organize over the messaging app Telegram. Um, and Telegram is, tell me if I'm stepping in at Emmy. Telegram is where, you know, so much of this ideology, this far right ideology, is able to cross mix and commingle. Yeah. Um, you know, I we we talked about Telegram enough in the pods. Okay, cool. But people are familiar. Yeah. You haven't stepped in it yet. Keep going. Uh, yeah. Like but, adjacent, adjacent to stepping, in them, but it's fine. It's yeah. So so I mean, my my. my Biggest framework, and I talk about this a lot, is is Telegram as kind of this technological embodiment of the cultic milieu, um, because there is so like basically no enforcement, close to no enforcement on Telegram, and so you know these these more malicious actors know that, and they know that they can find an audience who is interested in you know opposing the mainstream conspiratorial thought in these kind of like boomer tel- boomers on Telegram and conspiracy groups and. There are, you know, malicious actors planning to go in and win these people over. And, you know, a lot of these malicious actors are younger people who don't have those resources, but they know that they can win over these people who do have resources, who own land, who have savings, Mm -hmm. to kind of, like, fund that movement. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I do think that the cultic milieu is, like, a really important heuristic for these kind of collapse scenarios, because the question of what happens when kind of infrastructure and any sort of political guidance falls away is governed a lot by that. And like this idea that there's, there are these ideas floating around in our society. And once people have nothing else to turn to, these malicious actors will bring this stuff in. And, uh, yeah, to put it simply, then we're pretty fucked. Yeah. Telegram also has recently started to have to crack down on people. And, um, because of that, you have this really interesting dichotomy of people who are saying like, this means, like, get ready, get prepared, go off-grid, get guns. Yeah. And you also have, yeah. on the other end, people who are saying, you know, create alt-tech platforms and, like, create um, more, like, self-encryption and, like, I don't know, I don't, I'm trying not to step in yeah, it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, um, no, I'm, like, I'm with you. But to be able to uh, to speak yeah. more, peer, like, peer-to-peer um, resources. And that wraps up part one of the Terrorism Roundtable discussion. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us at Happen Here Pod and Cool Zone Media on all of the socials. Uh, you can find me at Hungry Bowtie. 
Um, and you can follow uh, a decent amount of the researchers on, on their podcast at Terrorism Bad, the podcast. I think I think it's just at Terrorism Bad. Anyway, thanks for listening to part one. Part two drops tomorrow. Stay tuned. This is Roxanne Gay, host of the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. Now, what is the Roxanne Gay Agenda, you might ask? Well, it's a podcast where I'm going to speak my mind about what's on my mind, and that could be anything. Every week, I will be in conversation with an interesting person who has something to say. We're going to talk about feminism, race, writing in books and art, food, pop culture, and yes, politics. I start each show with a recommendation. Really, I'm just going to share with you a movie or a book or maybe some music or a comedy set, something that I really want you to be aware of and maybe engage with as well. Listen to the Luminary Original Podcast, The Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us your attention, we need everything you got fast, waiting on reparations, we be the illest podcast. Tune in every Thursday, politics and wordplay, we fight for the people cause they got us in the worst way. From the hill to Brazil, Bombay to Kanye, from the left enclave to what the neocons say. Every Thursday, cop the heady conversation and, and break us off with some bread cause we waiting, waiting on, on reparations. reparations. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Welcome to It Could Happen Here. I'm Garrison Davis. This is part two of our terrorism roundtable discussion. If you haven't listened to part one already, I would recommend you scroll back, listen to the previous episode, and then continue on from here so you have kind of context to what exactly we're talking about. Anyway, this is part two of our discussion in the woods. I hope you enjoy. Something that was talked about earlier this year after January 6th was like, should the government ban Telegram? Right, that was the thing, and, and there's a lot of a lot of arguments. Are like, no, no <laughs> um, absolutely not. And there's, does anyone want to speak on that? Because like, you know, because like, if, if if I want to talk about the government's response to these things, you know, that's a very governmenty thing to do. Be like, oh, people are organizing on this platform. Get rid of the platform. Problem gone. Yeah. And that's not how that works. Uh, does, so, uh, Emmy, do you want to talk on that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah. So there. Yeah, getting rid of the platform doesn't necessarily help, um, especially when it's something that is important, such as, like, you know, encrypted communication, which is something that more people than just Nazis need. Yes. Um, and that resource should not be cut off. And there's also kind of a bad precedent to be set if the if the government is deciding which uh, forms of speech it needs to have complete access to. I don't love that. Um, the other thing is that if, if we nuke Telegram, right, they don't 
disappear. They yeah, form exactly. the networks they're in other still places. There, they are still there. And then they there. have to do more things in person. Right. They're still there. They're just harder to They're monitor. harder to And they're harder to track. Program is nice. People are absolutely correct when they say deplatforming works because it works for the platform. And a lot of people just want that. A lot of people just don't want to see Nazi shit and they're fine with, you know, deplatforming and they say this works and they have data to back up that it does work. But, but is, it, it works for of... the platform but the people still exist. Well, people yeah. are still boosting their own shit. And... When they bring up building their own alt tech platforms, you know, it that only works if you get there early. Yeah. 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 And there is elements that, yeah, deplatforming is a wider thing, can work, especially for like in person stuff. But yeah, for your, the sort of thing you're mentioning, yes, it is It is definitely uh, not not that cut and dry. You know, and Telegram's really interesting because it is kind of this middle space between social media and just a messaging app. Yeah. Uh, yeah right. And the thing about it, too, is that anybody can look at these, you know, the public channels. Yes, exactly. So without, without saying anything in the chat. So people could be kind of completely invisible. Nobody, like, nobody knows that they're there. They're watching the stuff, and they're still getting the same messaging. They're still getting the same dates for protests. They're still, like, organizing, but they can be uh, sort of just subscribe to a channel and you don't even need to be subscribed. You can just yeah. look, you can just know the name. Just looking look into it, it and getting that flow of information without yeah. ever having like formal organizing, so to speak. And it's so, so it's really hard to say that like you know these people planned this because there's a lot of plausible deniability and that anybody so, was involved. There's so much easy hyperlinking between groups and channels mm-hmm. and everything. So it's so easy for someone to move between ideology and to go from kind of like the base level shit into the much deeper stuff. Extremely quick, very quick. Yeah, extremely quick. Well, that's like the thing that's that is good. Design. Thing that's yeah. good for them about Telegram is that you have all of the people that are uh, vulnerable to, let's say, new ideas in one place. Yeah, that's a big thing you get. Right, recruitment. Exactly. If you're trying to plan a collapse, you're going to need a lot more people than the numbers that the people who want a collapse actually have. So the easiest way to kind of move things along is to start inserting their ideas and their discourses and kind of altering the vibe of certain digital environments um, manually until they have um, what we can kindly call cannon fodder. Yeah. Or even starting their own and saying, like, you know, this is a MAGA platform, and it's actually just, you know, a bunch of bunch of accelerationists who made it, we definitely, and they made it to recruit them. Yeah, we definitely saw attempts of this with, like, QAnon, of people who are way more accelerationists trying to use QAnon people as cannon yeah. fodder. Extremely, oh, yes. It was successful, yeah. it wasn't just attempts. And, and they did it, and QAnon people died. Well, you're, I mean, that, and then also you've got, like, a, like the idea of the boogaloo, right, that's been co-opted yes. to try to appeal to leftists, and I mean, there's a really good article by Left Coast Right Watch that goes into one of those chats, and they're basically like, yeah, really try to push these ideas of really try to push talking points like Black Lives Matter and all this. We want to get these protesters on our side. And then you also have um, some blatant like white supremacist groups who are also yeah. using the boogaloo. The, and how to... much of that, too, is, like, how much of that is sort of real, genuine, like, I am not racist. I believe in Black Lives Matter. Like, I want to be part of this, not, even not, though not I'm much. a boogaloo. Or, like... How much of it also is um, kind of reminiscent of what we were talking about yesterday, and I also don't want to step in it, but, like, with, you know, the idea from Manson of, like, Helter Skelter and, like, yeah. causing that race war, it's like, they what they would do is, like, try and frame black people for it and say, like, this was, you know... Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I mean, like... The and Google so how much of it is saying, like, this is Black Lives Matter 
and they want people to see that after they do a boog. The, the, the boogaloo group that showed up in Portland in Janu- in July um, of 2020 when the feds were happening, you know, they, they showed up and were all like, yeah, we're here to support Black Lives Matter and stand against the federal government and stuff. Um, and they had some very uh, suspicious patches that it took, mm-hmm. me, uh, took me about a year to figure out what they were. And it's like this accelerationist, like... Um, it, it ties into a whole bunch of like eco-fascist propaganda stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like they're they're saying these things while they have these very obscure patches. Um, and yeah, this is an important reason why we need people who are not very smart. Like I will say, Jimmy Dore, who puts these, who gives these people platforms, are some of the worst and are going to cause a lot of problems because uh, they have no idea what they're doing, or they know what they're doing and they're just bad. Yeah. And like that boogaloo thing kind of serves a twofold purpose in that you can bring people who self-identify as leftists into the movement, but you also have a really good scapegoat for, like, actual action. Like, that was a big thing that we saw in Minneapolis when things first popped off and, like, precinct was getting burned down and suddenly people on the internet start losing their minds about the Umbrella Guy. Umbrella Guy! Umbrella Guy at the auto The dumbest shit. And there was a guy who was indicted. He was a boogaloo boy who was indicted for... Um, like headlines said, burning down the precinct. He fired a weapon. In he the fired precinct. a gun on like near the wall. Exactly, and so that at the same time takes away agency from left wing movements. Yes, and the state's able to be like, look, see, it's just it's all- okay to crack down on them because they're all you know wild white supremacists. Exactly, or even just from any autonomous movement that forms the people in a community that isn't that we wouldn't necessarily refer to as left. It's just pissed off people. I mean, that's what we saw in every single you know. Every, every big city, city where every it's big like city, yeah. the young kids who are fucking pissed off and are going to go smash it, and it's like saying all of this is people from outside of the town. Where it's like I know outside agitators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tale as old as time. Like outside agitator has been used since before the it's, civil rights. It's a rights very movement. old state old talking thing. point. Yep. Yeah. What were you going to say, Matt? Um, yeah, I was going to say also. Uh, I mean, it's somewhat related to that. We were talking about using like QAnon as cannon fodder, yeah. and it also ties into the Savsit conversation we were having. So. My research, I special or not specialize, I focus on uh, Christian identity, this white supremacist ideology, and how specifically how it's grown since the 90s until now through like the internet and all that fun stuff. Uh, this whole point they've been pushing lately is to like they're it, this with Christian identity, the whole thing is they are preparing for the apocalypse, which they call the tribulations, and they see modern. CI folks see the boogaloo as like the tribulation that's coming. So what they're trying to do is go off grid and really try to like establish this new land or like to protect their kids and everything from like pollution and all that shit, but also to be away from the collapse and be able to survive it. And then while they're doing all that, like prepping homesteads and like compounds and stuff, they're also like pushing uh, like uh, election fraud conspiracies and all that on like QAnon and the MAGA crowd. Not because they believe it. Not because, yeah, right, they don't believe it, they know it's bullshit, but they can use it to accelerate collapse. Just like January 6th. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when, I mean, there are groups when uh, Joe Biden won the presidency, or won the election, whatever, uh, some groups being like, yeah, really try to push this theory, uh, this conspiracy about election fraud, even if you you don't believe in it, just push it, because that helps our cause. Exactly. Uh, And that's, that's something to be really mindful of, to... Forgot where else I was going with that. But well, yeah, some... a lot of them don't mean what they say. They'll say things that'll push other people to do something yeah. that they don't necessarily want to do, and that's a lot of a lot of like 
during January 6th, so much excitement because they could see that the QAnon crowd were actually mobilizing. Yeah. And yeah. so they yeah. said to them, like, to themselves, like, you know, get them, get them mobilizing for the white race, get them mobilizing for, you know, our cause. And they've really successfully been able to infiltrate that and be able to get some people on board with some of it. Yeah. Just based on using their rhetoric. Yeah. Yeah. I know I talked about this on our podcast, but you could see it. Like Mm -hmm. I, I reported on January 6th in person and like, you could watch it happen. Someone with a skull mask on or a proud boy or an oath keeper would literally come back from the police line, grab a group of people, yell something at them about QAnon or the storms upon us, and throw them up to that riot line. The New York Times did a really good good visual investigation of how those extremist groups used mega people and QAnon people as their foot soldiers. The QAA Um, folk, QAA did a really good breakdown on their J6 episode. QAnon Anonymous podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also uh, with, I mean, not to link everything to Christian identity, which I have a tendency to do, but it's it's very uh, ideologically similar to QAnon, like from a Christianity point of view. Like yeah. mm-hmm. QAnon is like so close to the edge of Christian identity. It's very scary. Actually, I talked about it on uh, Jake Hammerhand's Q Clearance podcast, but it there's also like not only trying to accelerate things through them, but also trying to recruit them through these, like, very, very similar talking points about, like, the synagogue of Satan and all that Saying that Christian identity is an entry point for some of them. Some of them bring it up as an entry point into further, like, accelerationist Nazi shit, but, like, they will start with Christian identity because they think that it's more packageable to people who already believe in QAnon. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, like Will was saying, these there a lot of this comes from these kind of boomer conspiracies and anti-vax groups, and you're not going to be able to get, uh, you know, meme on pap-pap into, like, Wotanism or something like that. Well, if you try but, hard enough. Uh, you can, can sure. Could. But, like, Christianity is something that's palatable. It's something that's mm-hmm. normal to them. And as you can kind of slowly tweak it through QAnon, you can get them to this much more extreme yeah. place. Oh, yeah. we talk about Christian identity, I think we should, like, maybe, Matt, you could define it. Christian identity, it's this uh, radical offshoot of Christianity that sees all white people as the true Israelites from the Bible. Um, and they also think Jewish people are all literally uh, the spawn of Satan. There's this really dumb theory they came up with and like kind of rewrote the whole Bible off of called, uh, can I name it? Is that okay? Yeah, you can. Okay. Uh, dual seed line theory where they say like the story, if you know about, uh, like Adam and Eve and all that, uh, they had Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel within, yes. right? So they see, um, Cain was the offspring of Eve and the devil. And he yep. is literally the spawn of Satan. And then he intermingled with all these races that were there before Adam and Eve and, created this demonic race and it's really really fucking dumb uh but it's still here it is yeah. it's been it's, here for a hot minute uh, and it's probably gonna keep going it's gonna get oh, worse calling it now it's, it's gonna, gonna get, get worse it's, get, uh, it's gonna get worse yeah but uh and the whole thing is they essentially like worship like a nazi jesus they see jesus only uh was really only talking to the white race and that christianity and like god only is able to be perceived by the white race. And, and before you start laughing at these people, because yes, it does sound very silly, keep in mind that these are extremely dangerous. Like, yeah, like, I mean, you had, like... You, right, this is, this is the one problem with QAnon when liberals just start laughing about how crazy it is, and then they're so surprised at January 6th, 
where like no no like you it's yeah like they're actually dangerous yeah, yeah. I mean Christian yeah. identities because he's been yeah. mentioned in a lot yeah and he's Christian identity has been mentioned in various manifestos linked to you know, yes. actual, and, te- actual oh, terrorists yeah, has formed oh, yeah. very like organized groups. groups like I mean historically you look I, at uh, a big part of like with Christian identity and with a lot of these kind of like a lot of them base their like whole historical context of like Arianism on this rewriting of history based on um, a fake study that was done in Nazi Germany about uh, where some proto-Indo-European languages came from. And so they believe that like white people came from uh, an area that's, you know, you could generally say is sort of near the Black Sea. Um, Mm -hmm. And that it's based on this like strange idea that like, Sanskrit is not the oldest language, but like, are you pointing the gun at me because I'm stepping in? You're, you're getting real close. You're getting real close. Getting real close. The gun at me. On the edge. The, like, the, the historical context. The, the historical context. I think it actually is useful, and it, oh. it shows it's not. Or, yeah, there there is actual yeah, things that can be traced yeah, back from this. Yeah. They, they yeah. really tried to push this. They made um a lot of fake studies that you could spend a lot of time researching this and believe that it's true um, because there's just so much written about it. And I think this is like a tactic that they really tend to do with historical revisionism a lot is just crank out essay after essay, even if it's wrong, even if it's totally like based on false data or just skewed data. They don't care. They just write about it and they think that like, Having more written about it makes it more legitimate. And yeah, right. if that's what we are talk have been talking about this this whole time we've been not recording mm-hmm. is there's just an overflow of content that is mm-hmm. so easy to access, you know, not necessarily from these specific groups they're talking about, just from the further right in general. Oh yeah. Um, yeah they mean, just overflow the content. It's like always the top shit on Facebook. To give yeah. an idea of how pervasive even that idea of, like, where Indo-European languages came from, like, when I still went to college, I took a Religions of South Asia course, and we had to spend, like, multiple days where our professor went through these myths about, like, what was the the Aryan invasion, uh, which, like, was... There are Aryan people. That That is a thing, historically. They're Iranian. Yes, they're <laughs> yes. not white people. But like going Depends through on your definition of white people, sure. But they believe, it's is based relative. on language. They think yes. of Aryanism as like referring to a linguistic pattern. Yeah, but like in a university course, we still had to go through and like debunk these myths because they've gotten so pervasive within culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another thing I want to say Absolutely. is that kind of these more entry level conspiracy ideas. It is hard to overemphasize how small the space is between the entry level stuff and the much harder stuff. It can happen oh. extremely quickly. Extremely fast. It does I, happen you extremely know, I'll fast. give I'll give an example. I went to you know I was reporting on um, an anti-vax protest, and they went straight into talking about New World Order and and yeah, Project yeah. Locks, Lockstep yeah. and and the Rothschilds and the Bilderbergers and like the Sabatines and David Icke shit. Just me, and this is this was the middle of the day in like a metropolitan area with a bunch of boomers and Trump hats who are getting this like hardcore shit pumped at them. Or you, uh, we saw that a lot with the Nashville bombing too. Like immediately, it was like, oh, it was actually an attack on Dominion, and also it was uh, 
orchestrated by the Rothschilds to destroy evidence of voter fraud. I forgot that that was a whole Yeah, thing. and then also there was a whole, like, there was a bunch of stuff that came up. There was a big conspiracy that it was actually a missile strike. I had to talk my grandpa oh, down yeah, from that oh video. My, really? Uh, I about yeah. that. I didn't there know. Was, I didn't there know was that a, a video that circulated yep. for a while about mm-hmm. that, and I had to I get into a conversation with my grandpa, who at the time was super isolated because of COVID. And that's a whole other yeah, story. That's a but, whole other problem. Um, yeah. yeah, and I had to like talk him down and show him like, no, here's uh, here's a video from somebody I knew who was like somewhat in the area and saw the explosion and filmed it. Like, and there was not a missile anywhere near. One of the data, yeah, one of the data studies I've done is um, and worked on is using big pool and small pool Discord servers of uh, far right extremists, um, far right militia groups, and. Um, very, very, like, accelerationist, skull mass type networks. Um, and looking at the big pools and the small pools and seeing the at mentions between them. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. And there was not one person who was more than three nodes away from anybody else. Yep. So you, yep. it, it's very, it can't be overstated how close people are from entry to very, very, very extreme uh, types of uh Goals, yeah, and and, and ideology, explicit ideologies that explicitly push mm-hmm. violence, and you know another point I want to bring up is, um, like, you know, there's been much said about QAnon. It isn't going away. It's just not called QAnon anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with with these anti-vax mobilizations, those mobilizations and groups aren't going away. They're just going to continue to shift and evolve their focus, and the, the networks stay. The networks oh, yeah. stay, the networks and they're change. planning for it though. Networks, like they've, networks, networks, they've, networks. they've 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 designed it that way. So I sometimes I find the normie stuff first. Sometimes I find the crazy stuff first. But I mean, not even that long ago, I I came across a particular social media profile that was explicitly calling for acts of terror and attempting to organize acts of terror and displaying acts of terror, which is like an immediate problem that needs to be dealt with. However, they had multiple alternate accounts mm-hmm. that you follow that path, and on their other accounts, they're sharing, like, Tucker Carlson stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. things that your grandparents are going to watch, right? Like, and, and that is done on purpose to try to, like, siphon people out of um, more, quote-unquote, mainstream versions of, like, conspiratorial thinking directly into, like, you should start exploding things. Yeah. And even, even, more, even more, let's say, left-of-center conspiracy thinking ties into this yeah, as well. It, it does. Yeah. And Very it's not, you know, conspiracy theories are not solely a thing of the right, which which but, pisses yeah, me off to no end. That's, Sorry, Matt. Like, uh, no, I just want to uh, back you up on that. Like, I think there's this, maybe this, like, implicit idea that the left is uh, immune to conspiracy theories when it very much is not true. Not at all. Nobody yeah. is immune. Um, yeah, I'm just, I just wanted to emphasize that point. Yeah, I mean, that idea, though, of, like, never being that far from the serious stuff is something that's really, really observable, even beyond, like, a data level. I, I used to, like, consult with local newsrooms on how to report on things, and one of the big points I always tried to drill in was, like, if you fuck this up and you frame this the wrong way, it will have consequences, and... If this is stepping in it too much, we can cut this. That's why we keep talking about stepping in it. This is literally the concept of stepping in it. But, like, the, um, Dylan Roof. Dylan Roof started his journey to radicalization by reading about Trayvon Martin in local news websites and local newspapers and then Googling 
black on white crime. And mm-hmm. his first result. Yeah, the first shit that comes up. Yeah, was. Many some, people were yes. radicalized by the same exact thing. Exactly. And, like, it does not, it did not take long for him to go from, I am reading local news articles that are framed this specific way, mm-hmm. to, I am killing people. Yep. Now, that's not normal, of course. Like, a lot yeah, of people are not, not going to be reading local news and then suddenly start to think this way. Exactly. But, like, there is a concerted effort by some very specific people who would like to make that more, pathway more easier. Yeah. 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 yeah, Stochastic terrorism. It, yeah. It's, well, well, it's interesting look. because we don't... We can't, like, define it, really, as terrorism. What are they doing? They're really just... Yeah. They're just saying things. They're just encouraging people to do things. And, like, they're not... Like, they're not doing anything wrong. We can't really call it terrorism. Yeah, the most dangerous people in this game are usually not the ones doing the shooting. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's yeah. the people behind the scenes trying to get mm-hmm. people to go on these paths in the first place. Looking for people who are willing. And then, so they see somebody reading local news, maybe... And they, they want to make that pathway easier for to go from local news to Dylan Roof. Like, because that's not a normal jump. No. Uh, but they really want to find people who are looking at local news like that and then say to them, like, well, okay, you look at this, now look at this. So, trying to tie this back to climate change, how do you see, do you see a similar pathway? Instead of instead of someone Googling, you no know, black and white crime, like, Googling stuff about collapse and and and, and like modern modern yeah. civilization. Oh yeah, Eric Stryker. I yeah. don't know. Oh, Eric Stryker yeah. has been on about this, and I think that he's a. I mean, relatively like middle point that people get to like mm-hmm. fairly like average people do listen to things like Eric Stryker. Yeah, he's a very like entry level explicit yeah. Nazi. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and another thing, and cut me off if we don't want to go in this direction. Uh uh-uh. But. You know, one of the biggest places where we see young people getting into conspiracy theories is TikTok. It is TikTok. Okay. Oh. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, okay. where, that's where I'm All going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are we Let's talking about, about TikTok now? TikTok. <laughs> Ted K memes on TikTok. <laughs> cut that, cut that, cut that. We're not, we're not cutting that. That is, that is within well, the true. branches of the pod. Yeah. I mean, the biggest entry point I've seen for a lot of things remains crisis. Yeah. 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 Various, and the thing is... This our upcoming climate scenario is going to give people a, an easier jumping on point. Well, yeah, that's so. I mean, we we were talking about how like uh, the the mythology of like like black on white crime and all this stuff. They they're trying to create a situation that you know with the sense of urgency that justifies fascism, which on yes. its own is unjustifiable and ridiculous. But when there's a crisis, that's right? When people sign up. Climate change is the existential threat that they've been trying to artificially create, and they no longer mm-hmm. have to. They now get to skip a lot of steps and save a lot of energy by just pointing at the fact that everything is literally on fire, and that like that that makes it so much quicker. So we have to do something. We have all the guns. Now would be a great time to join in on our power. This, this, this yeah. kid, this this is our Weimar era hyperinflation type shit. Yeah, I mean, this is like when you're when you can't get food from the grocery store anymore because of supply chain problems, or when everything around you is on fire. You don't need like a great you don't need a great replacement theory. No, no you, you don't, don't need any of that. You don't need to say that the Rothschilds are behind it. You you have enough, just need to wait. You have you have enough things that you experience yourself, and it's much scarier when you can't. Because I can't like and like how how do we how do we stop? Yeah, that? I can't how, fucking how debunk that? that. It's harder. The world right. is literally on fire. It's it's a problem, and something needs to be done about it. I don't like your solution, 
but uh, something needs to happen. So what, what, what do you think on this path, and this is going to get a whole lot more speculative, but like, what can we do to make people falling down those pathways less often? Like, like what are Put the things that Put it with the doomer shit. Yes. yes. That is, uh, that, that's, that's one of the things that we're trying to do on the pod, is make sure that people do not fall, fall down the, the doomer pathway. Because, yeah, this, that, that does get people along down this path a lot. Eco-extremism is logical. Like against like mo- like against most types of extremism, eco extremism is the most logical. Like you look yeah. at it and you say, "We need a radical change right now," and that's correct. Um, it's just the way that they go about it is very very different. And that's why like you know eco fascism is very different. It's its own type of eco extremism. And yeah. there's in green anarchy. That's a very different type of eco extremism. Like these yeah. are all different parts of something that almost has the same goals, but wants to go about them very, very, very differently. And it's so easy to just look around and see how everything's on fire and think, like, the government's doing nothing about it, the government starts doing something about it, and then suddenly it's, the state's too big, we're in communism, you know? So they all have, like, different goals, and it's very conflicting on how to how to deal with it. Yeah, and, and like, even the, with the very different tactics between green anarchy and... Um, like fascist eco extremism, they also will get to different end goals, right? Yeah, like, yes. you know, like your your yes, your yeah. basic amprim wants a very different life than your you know very you know very uh, stepping in it pilled uh, fascist, right? But yeah. a, a collapse can only benefit the right. It can't. A, a collapse can only benefit yeah. the yep. people who already have power, who are already able bodied, who are already uh, stocked up on guns, who are already yep. like. Yeah, yeah. Our, that, that does frustrate me with there being anarchists who are like rooting for the collapse because yeah. you're not gonna win. Like, yeah. you're not just gonna get you put behind a fence somewhere. You're not yeah. going back or out. put on the wall. Yes. Yeah, well, they've got very strict ideas of which people count as human, and the goal of, of majority of fascist movements is to you know purge the ranks of the people they see as lesser, and purge they have the they have they have very precise ideas about who they plan on letting survive the collapse. All right. So let's let's. I think it's time to start talking about and tell me if I'm taking this in the wrong direction. You know, what the fuck can someone do who's listening to this? Yeah, right. yeah. Um, Recycle. No. <laughs> Stop recycling. Just, it's all, it's all getting... Shorter it's, showers. It's all getting buried me. in the organ no. forest. I, I talk to Joe Biden. Just vote. Vote, vote it away. Vote, vote it out. Yeah, no. Away. Let me... Well, like, what can you do to, like... Start like, local. Find a local group. Find yes. a local group. Find a local direct action group. Yes. Investigate that group and see... Who is behind it? But find start locally. It has to start at the local level because when should the, I'm not gonna say I'm gonna say if the collapse comes or like or you know not the collapse but like a collapse, local yeah. local collapses. There's continuous disasters. Yeah, yes. continuous disasters are gonna affect at the local level. No, talk to your talk to your fucking neighbors. That's neighbors, say, talk yeah. to your family. Like oh. especially, you, you try to get your family on these paths that lead to helping your neighbors instead of you know. Making friends with the church militia. Yeah, before, I mean, before you buy a gun, learn how to fucking garden. Yes. Yeah. But buying a gun and that sort of thing is is good. It's good to know how to use firearms. Basic but, emergency preparedness. Yes, but learn learn how to put on a tourniquet. Learn how to feed yourself. Learn, learn, to, do yes, this. learn yeah. how to grow some fucking food. Learn how to cook that fucking food. Get an eye back. All that comes before like you get to be a Fallout yep. character yep. or something. Oh yeah. Two big things. Do you want to yes. buy an eye Oh yeah, an individual first aid kit. You can buy them online. Buy them online. Yeah. You can buy them in, stop the in gun class. stores. You can yeah. buy you can buy them in like some pawn shops. Yeah, I like North American Rescue or North River Rescue. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about yeah. IFACs more in the pod. Yeah, 
Well, there are, look, there are two big things. One, we all have a moral obligation to consistently counter the black pill, doomer shit, everything is coming to an end. Like, it doesn't have to. That's optional. Like, we... we Things are going to get bad, but there's degrees of there's badness. There's degrees of bad. We can stop it from being... We don't need civilizational goals. Right, we don't need civilization to end. Like, that can be done. Step two, we also have an obligation to counter the individualist stuff and, yes. and, and focus our efforts more towards towards community and relationships. And that is so, so important because every idiot that's going to buy a gun and have a bunker, not only is not going to make it, but it's going to screw the rest of us. Like, this has to be a communal effort. And on the civilization thing, like, we do need the civilization to change. Yes. Like, we yes. need human society as we lay out. We have, has a lot of problems. I understand people's critiques of human civilization. But we also um, still need a society. But, yeah, we, we, need, we need places that, you know, people are going to gather and people, you know, pr- provide the things that we have. Um, I noticed that that can be a loaded word in certain political circles. So um, I'm not, you know, we're not getting into, like, civilization theory and that, that kind yeah. of anything. Yeah, I was going to say, I would argue any uh, ideology or idea, such as the boogaloo, that... Uh, kind of hypes up a collapse is generally one you should stay away from. Anything that makes the collapse sound yes. like a and like it a, makes, a it, makes, it makes it sound product. sexy. And it it does. personal glory. As I think it's important to remember, yes. like if there was some massive civil conflict that happened, I think the people who would suffer the most are the non-combatants. The as we will talk about anything to deal with it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as we will talk about on an yeah. upcoming episode of terrorism bad. Um, we'll, we'll do plugs at the end. Hold, put the gun back in your pants. Hold yourself together. <laughs> I was talking about historical precedent earlier about um, things we've seen in the past with collapses and how people with guns and people who with training end up being the ones who gain power. Um, something that like I was specifically reading about that was um, like the Rwandan genocide. Yeah, it, yeah. you know, it was just the what three months where most of the Tutsi people were wiped out. Um, there are conflicting numbers, so I'm not going to specifically say any, but, um, you know, the more recently, like this year, earlier this year, um, was only when Rwanda admitted what it was, that it was a genocide. And, um, the people, the armed forces were the ones who became, like, the, the leaders and the, they were backed by the government. Good they thing that can't happen in America. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, it's like it can't happen here, though. Yeah, nope, it cannot. We are we are immune to this in our yeah, spot the of the world. Called it will not happen here. The, not if I can help it. The other thing is, look at where you get your information from. Seriously, no matter who you are, take a long, hard look at who you get your especially, information. Even from. if you're on the left, especially. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Especially if you're on the left. You know, if you want to hear about something that's happening in an area... Look at the people who are actually on the ground reporting Local that. People. Don't just rely on like news aggregators, especially on Twitter. Yeah. Seriously. Oh, no, really bad. No, no, there's there's been a lot of bad, very bad faith news aggregators on Twitter who are posing as leftists. This has been a, pr- a huge problem even in 2020. Le- even, yes. even leftists who just don't do their due diligence. Or just do, or just do a or very bad job. People who call themselves like counter-extremism or counter-terrorism researchers. And they are really talking about Antifa. They yeah. say that they are counter-extremism researchers, and they pose that way, and they look sometimes like they could be, sometimes like they not, they're not, but, like, you know, very de- varying degrees of, like, legitimacy. But, like, they focus only on, like, the left-wing stuff. They don't think yeah, about... They, they don't see they where don't the actual, like, highlight. mass threats are yeah. coming from. It has to be this idea of, like, keeping it balanced, right? Like, not making it just, like, a far-right issue, which yeah. I would argue... I think a lot of other people would that this kind of stuff is uh, um, more concerning. It is not, not only, it's it's not not only a far right issue, yeah. and there is like merit definitely to looking at sure. left accelerationism yeah, and left, uh, which is not acceleration came from Marxism. For the record, like left accelerationism is not talking about anti-fascist, but um, there's really not time to get like get into no, all no, this. Yeah. But like. Left accelerationism will be will be its own episode. But what what some people do posing as, um, you know, people who have credibility and are able to kind of sway opinion, they are not really doing what they say that they're doing. They're really just trying to shift the narrative from of of racially motivated violent extremism, which is a big. Obviously, a, issue a right now category. to being yeah. like BLM is racially motivated violent extremism, and they want to push that narrative further and further. I think, and let's 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 kind of probably start to like uh, 
wrap up and say our final thoughts on you know this whole this whole topic. Um, I know we, we didn't we didn't we, we did rambling. not we, we did we did not get to talk about like um, eco defense very much. If anyone has any final thoughts on that and how they see it kind of growing and how they see the state's response to it, um, that might be worth briefly mentioning. But yeah, let's kind of let's, let's, let's kind of go around in a circle and give kind of everyone's you know fi- final thoughts on the on the subjects. Um, I think collapse is is bad, and I think that uh, well, I mean that's my main my main thing, but anything that's uh, appealing to you in on like an ecological level that's collapse related is something you should be very wary of. And I think you should be wary, very wary of like generally everything. I feel like that's kind of like a butchered. Yeah. Be, say, be, but... be careful about everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess in my opinion, the idea of total collapse is very misleading because it's yes. easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And disasters don't work like that. Nope. You're, you're not going to suddenly reset one day. Um, everything is going to suck, and you're going to need to fight for whatever semblance of a society that you want to see in the world. Talk to your fucking neighbors. Get to know the yes. people in your yes. city, in your neighborhood. There are people doing good shit in whatever city, town you live in, most likely. If not, you can start it. Look at your local mutual aid network. Look at the people who are taking action around and get involved. Seriously, you know, it could be going out into a park Saturday mornings and just, like, giving out food and talking to the people who are most affected. Talk to people. Seriously. Yeah, I mean, if Everyone's you, a person you need to talk to. All. Touch grass. If you talk need, to like, people. Yeah, if you need, like, the most basic thing to start on any sort of mutual aid work, try to find a Food Not Bombs chapter in your Absolutely. area. Absolutely. Yes. They're well organized. They're easy to join. It. You don't have to put on block and fight a cop. It's... Yeah, it's a good entry point, and, give, and, also, and it's it's great. It's great training for for disaster relief. Yes, yeah. if you have money and you want to help, seriously, just give cash to unhoused people give on the street. To, give, yeah. give money. Give money to people. Give money directly to people. Yep. Uh, my last thoughts are just that I think the idea of collapse, or whether actual collapse themselves, environmental or otherwise, will always be something to rally behind. Like it is always a an entry point as well as a motivator from from all for all sides from all sides. Um, but it's like when these things become very salient, like was mentioned before, when they're outside of your door, that's when you know that's when like the ideology kind of hits the pavement. Like what is actually going to play out, what is actually going to happen, and how that's going to affect people is very real. So building community, you know, building connections, um, and just understanding you know who is in your community probably one of the most important things uh yeah the idea of collapse is a uh romantic and ridiculous notion uh come up with people who are like really into like apocalyptic thinking and the version of themselves where they get to be the main character so first and foremost take care of each other there are a lot of people out there who want to manipulate you and want to change the way you think about things and they really really want you to buy in to the end times and you don't have to because you're smarter than that yeah, it's it's not hopeless. We really have to move away from hierarchical thinking. Our society really incentivizes hierarchical thinking. And yeah. It's like you were saying, Toothpick. Like we um, we really need to just be focusing on people. Like give things to people because you know somebody doesn't have to you know earn you know respect and earn humanity. For some reason, we try and make it seem like that, but people are people. Um, people are in different circumstances because of, usually because of just the way that the world is. And 
Um, yeah, you need to just, you need to organize locally. You need to help your own people and stay away from the internet. Shit. Don't stop posting. Stop posting as I'm, as, as stop posting, even though I will keep doing it because I'm, I'm the good poster. Um, and who wants, who wants to plug the pod? Which pod? Your pod. Our pod. Oh. Follow oh. at Terrorism Bad. Uh, we're on. That's our. That's our. Well, app, right? what, what, what is the pod? Like what? What? What do you? Oh. What do y'all do? <laughs> yeah, we go through um, portrayals of terrorism and extremism and, and conspiracies and conspiracies in popular media, and we look at it from the perspective of people who study this and say, did this succeed in portraying these things, or did it, as it more often does... Cause problems. ...completely fail and cause us all personal problems. Become propaganda and <laughs> yes. like. Did you make terror propaganda, or did you make good media about terror? That is a thin line, Emmy. It's such a thin that line. Is, I've that, made a career out that of is it. The, that is the thin terror line. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to plug your fantastic group? Yeah, absolutely. I'm with. Uh, you can read anything I write at antihate.ca, and we do just general reporting on... Uh, far-right extremism in Canada, as well as infiltration. What? Your podcast. Oh, and I also host a podcast called The Unusual Show. Yeah, uh, if you want to keep up to date on extremism in Canada, their group is one of the, is probably the best one around yeah. right now, in my opinion. Um, the largest. And, yeah, the largest. Yeah. And you, 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 do, you do very good work. You keep your eye on my uh, home country where my family lives, so thank you for that. Um, and I'm very happy to... to be talking with you guys in the beautiful woods where we have no cell service, so we can't post. Um, and that's good, and we're going to continue doing that and stop using this microphone. So goodbye. Um, yeah, and uh, Terrorism Bad, the podcast. With that, that wraps up the Terrorism Roundtable Forest Discussion episodes. Thanks for listening to all of us rant about our specific weird niche focuses and uh, hopefully trying to have it within the useful context of climate change. You can follow me at Hungry Bowtie. You can follow the the podcast uh, Happen Here Pod and Cool Zone Media on uh, Twitter and I believe Instagram. You can follow some of the researchers I interviewed um, on their podcast at Terrorism Bad. So that wraps up this discussion. Thanks for listening. See you later in the podcasting verse the pod verse okay goodbye here's to the great american settlers the millions of you who settled for unsatisfying jobs because they pay the bills and uh you just kind of fell into it and you know it's like totally fine just another few decades or so and then you can enjoy yourself Of course, there is something else you could do if you got something to say. You could, I don't know, start a podcast with Spreaker from iHeart and unleash your creative freedom and spend all day researching and talking about stuff you love. And maybe even earn enough money to one day tell your irritating boss as you quit and walk off into the sunset, Hey, I'm no settler. I'm an explorer. Spreaker.com. That's a S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Hustle on over today. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris, to recap our hit television series, New Girl. 
Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast, where we'll share behind-the-scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American, and discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars, and directors who made the show so special. Fans have been begging us to do a New Girl recap for years, and we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl? Plus, each week you'll hear hilarious stories like this. At the end when he says, you got some Schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke. I believe that. Whoa. I feel like I did. I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was, I, I, I tossed that one out. Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, What's a problem, no. my me? No. I'm a problem. Welcome to Sophie. It Could Happen Here. The show where I'm a problem. I'm on vacation legally. You're not allegedly. on vacation allegedly legally, but okay. <laughs> Inshallah. I'm drunk. Uh, Garrison, you're in charge uh, now. Figure it out. Garrison, Great. Garrison, um, Garrison. <laughs> hi. It's, well, it could happen here. Today, we are uh, talking with somebody, if you've listened to the past two episodes, you should actually know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Theo, who is a, a journalist and researcher, and we are going to be uh, discussing plans for an upcoming rally in Washington, D.C. That's has a lot of Oh, people. that seems good. Yeah. This is uh, It seems like bad things never happen when yeah, what happened, rally in D.C. What happened last time? <laughs> What happened now, last Garrison, time we did this? I don't. I, I historically only pay attention to things that happen after May and before December. Uh huh. So I'm unaware of anything bad ever happening in DC. Well, something Has bad stuff happened there. You want to key last, us in? Last time it got it got a little spicy. Um, okay, they, you they say spicy, but it's not like they tried to overthrow the government and murder elected leaders, right? That is what People they were actually just having too much fun. Yeah, they, yeah got they were just boys. They were just little, proud of their boys. A little carried away, building all of the, building that big uh, hanging contraption, whatever it's called. I don't the gallows, know. Garrison. The gallows, yeah. Anyway, we're, we're talking, uh, Theo, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey, guys. I'm Theo. Um, I'm Hi, a journalist Theo. and a researcher. Uh, I'm based out of Virginia, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, I end up covering a lot of events in D.C. because of that. And yeah. that's my plans for this weekend. Cool. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to give us like an overview of what rallies in DC have been like the past? Let's say like the past year. Um, oh boy, do I. Yeah. Let's Has just, it been just, good? just for background. Yeah. So, like, pretty much immediately post election, as the whole kind of stop the steal. Thing got kicked into gear um november 14th there was a rally in dc um and then there was one december 12th and then there was finally one as most people are probably aware on january 6th um yep. january 6th you know obviously got the bulk of the media coverage um but november 14th and especially december 12th were uh very violent situations in general um Proud Boys, uh, General Chuds, uh, a bunch of Oath Keepers. Oath Keepers, yeah. Three Percenters. A bunch of people's confused Meemaws and Pap Paps showed up. Um, would kind of yeah, wander around the died. city. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. 
Um, it's pretty pretty fucked up. I I know some people <laughs> who were there when they did, and it's uh, I don't know. It's sad. Like I uh, super dark. Yeah, it's really I think bleak. I was there with the people that you know, yeah. Robert. Oh, good. Yeah. So you, I mean, that it's just, it's so fucking. Um, I don't know the extent of the disinformation, right? It's hard when you're talking about this to like express a lot of sympathy for some of these people. And I'm not sympathetic towards their aims. I'm not trying to do the New York Times, like let's talk to the Trump voter down the street. But like, a lot of them are just like. They're fucking dumb people who bought into some bullshit and it it destroyed them and their relationships with their families and in some cases cost them their lives. And like, you don't have to sympathize with them to be like, yeah, that's bleak as shit. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah, And I think you see that with the DC rallies really more so than like a Portland Proud Boy event, for example. That, that um, is not at all a gathering of like the masses. That's that's a specific yeah. group of pieces of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And like you'd have yeah, big, absolutely like units of Proud Boys or Oath Keepers. Uh, we had three percenters, some local Virginia militias, and they'd kind of be wandering around. But during the day itself, you'd normally see uh, like speakers. Alex Jones was there, um, got to meet him. That was fun. Um, oh, good. And- oh, that's so always sorry. a treasure meeting Alex. <laughs> No, no, Alex he, is a great guy. He we shook all my hand. Alex. It was really fun. <laughs> He's his neck. It's hard to exaggerate how how he is just as red is. in person. He's so red, and as a guy who's good at strangling, seems like he would be hard to strangle. Oh, nearly impossible. Yeah, like that's so big. It's such like it's like a fucking train car. Like it's ridiculous <laughs> how big that man's neck is. Look, yeah, most so like, people aren't hard to strangle. Alex Jones would be. That's not praising him. That's just being honest. Great. Yeah, so during the day, there would be speakers, you know, Alex Jones, and you'd kind of see people split up into whatever their specific brand of fuckery is. There's, like, groups of nerdy-looking groipers. Um, there God were some trad cats wearing robes. God Those guys it. were fun. Um, God damn it. But, yeah, a lot of it's, you know, confused, like, boomers on facebook and kind of to robert's point like i i normally didn't go you know wearing press credentials because i value knives being outside of me and not inside of yeah it's it's good to not get stabbed most people appreciate that yeah yeah it's one of my favorite things and so i'd get to like talking to these people especially the older ones because i take the metro into the city and they are i mean they're just confused old people uh who've gotten in over their heads but yeah, and yep. then like the sun would set, and that's when the Proud Boys would really start uh, getting into shit. Uh, November 14th, they stabbed, uh, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, so feel free to fact check me, but I believe it was two people on the 14th. Uh, they cracked a girl's skull, yep. and then on December 12th, uh, they stabbed one other person, and Jeremy Bertino got filleted on the street he sure did he sure did and the fucking da elected not to prosecute because that was the clearest case of self-defense i have ever seen in my life um yeah so like like the dude literally tried to flee three times he drew his knife after by the third time he was blinded by having his shirt pulled and assaulted by a group he had no other choice yeah yeah he did exactly what you're supposed to do in that situation And he repeatedly tried to flee, and when he didn't, he stabbed a motherfucker. And you can't, I, I can't 
he did nothing wrong in my in my yeah, opinion all, the DA's opinion yeah yeah we're all probably better off for it but yeah there's this kind of established uh there was this established sort of cycle of show up uh, a bunch of weird republican politicians that you've never heard of before give speeches uh you go and kind of wander around and then the proud boys come out and they fuck around uh and sometimes other groups too like uh january the night before january 6th there were people from nsc 131 who mm-hmm. were hanging out trying to cause trouble yeah. getting in altercations all their normal shit and uh so yeah there's this kind of like general mix of groups uh january 6th shifted the paradigm on that a lot and i think that's the big thing for this weekend is we don't really know what yeah. it's gonna look like yeah, can you talk about kind of what has kind of the event promotion looked like from the right? Like, what have they, what messages have they been putting out to promote this event with? So, yeah, a lot of, like, the bigger groups have been fairly explicitly saying, like, don't go. Officially. Uh, yeah. Unofficially is a bit of a different story. And, yeah. and in fairness, it's worth noting that prior to um, the sh- the Unite the R- uh, Rally in Charlottesville, the Proud Boys were saying, don't go. And an awful lot of their most violent members were at Unite the Right in Charlottesville, you know? it Some some of this is a plausible deniability game. Yeah, so, like, the official Proud Boys Telegram channel was like, oh, this is, I mean, in different words, but we're pretty much like, this is a honeypot, this is a trap, this is an op, don't go. Um, but also, like, we've seen activity that really suggests otherwise. Yeah. Um, whether it's, like, smaller, more local groups saying that they want to go, or uh, streamers and journalists using the word lightly to uh, who have pretty close relationships with these groups, uh, hiring extra stringers for the weekend, or looking like they're preparing to report on something big. Yeah, the kind of the I know we've talked a little bit um online and with some of our colleagues and there's definitely a a, a mixed a mixed a mixed opinion on how big the event's going to be and who's all going to be there and what kind of their goal is, which makes kind of everything all the more tense because you know, it's almost easier to when we know what it's going to be, like we like we have a good gr- grasp of what's going to happen and this we're not really sure. Um do you do you know has there been any kind of response from like local DC officials like like law enforcement or anything about what they're going to do at this uh gathering So I did see Capitol Police is planning to put the fence back up um probably a good idea yeah Yeah which like will cover the Capitol but there's also a problem with the fence going up which is the back of the fence goes right up to the end of the Black Lives Matter plaza in DC, which has been used as kind of a rallying yeah. point for uh, anti-fascist activists, and when that fence is up, it's just it's a funnel. The so it goes like uh, this isn't a visual medium. There's a street, uh, <laughs> and that's where Black Lives Matter Plaza is, and there's only two exits, and both those exits lead to hotels that Proud Boys and Chuds love to stay in. So what happens almost without fail is people go and hang out in the plaza, you know, chuds come down the streets, police form a line, and it's pretty much a pre-made kettle. Right. So that's, like, not good. Uh, 
it's good for the capital, but it's not good for the people that'll be on the ground. Yeah, because we they're also as is most of these events, um, there has been some organizing uh, locally and even you know uh, uh, anti-fascists from around kind of the country trying to like put out advice and feelers on like what to do for this specific gathering. Um, and I know there's been there's been a decent amount of you know I mean, like, there's there, there's always like debate and conflict of, of, of around how much to show up, where to show up, you know how proactive people should be. Um, but because this is the first big rally since J6, I feel like there's a lot of people feel it's much more important. And like the people have like, you know, there's, there's, there's like, there's like a heightened sense around the specific thing. Um, do you know like how many people are kind of roughly planning to show up uh, on like the anti-fascist side? It's really hard to tell. Um, DC anti-fascist actions. I've seen, you know, a couple dozen people in block, uh, towards close to a hundred, I would, um, from what I've heard, the kind of main counter demo that's happening is uh, definitely less radical, and is kind of trying to establish sort of a community space thing. Uh, so I would say, I don't know, expect around forty to fifty like people who are there to throw hands. Yeah. And a lot more people who are just kind of there. I mean, it's it's this uh, it's this thing we saw. I, w- I was in D.C. for Unite the Right Two, you know, the mm-hmm. second rally, and it, it it didn't turn into much of a thing. You know, I think because of the the preparation, the expectation, and I, I guess I'm interested in if you think I'm wrong on this, but the, the, my current expectation is that maybe that might be the most likely outcome because because of the degree of anti- the unexpected event already occurred and was awful i am not expecting anyone will be given free leash you know yeah i could definitely see that sort of unite the right two scenario playing out especially because it is very similar like there was this massive shocking event that kind of yeah uh hit the whole nation, everyone's attention you know? yeah and so then people will, I think the only big difference is like in the aftermath of Unite the Right, you kind of saw at times a misguided media focus, but still a media focus on anti-fascist activists as playing a yeah. unique yeah. role when you didn't have that for January 6th. And I think that's that's really one of my bigger worries is less so kind of clashes between chuds and uh, anti-fascists, which is still, I mean, you know, that's always a thing that may happen. But also, like, you have to think, these chuds that are coming, when they look at DC police, they see someone, they see the people who killed Ashley Babbitt. When the DC police look at these chuds, they're the people who beat someone, beat one of their co-workers to death. And, you know, like, there's Capitol Police, not same as DC Metro Police, but, like, in, in the minds of both these groups, that doesn't really matter. And I I worry about the tension there. I, I Like, I don't care if they mace each other, you know. If the Proud Boys and cops mace each other, then that's a great day for me. But if it escalates further... And, you know, we're seeing that more and more the past, was it the past two 
kind of major right wing rallies in the Pacific Northwest have had shots fired. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Yeah, one. It, it, one it, of which every entailed, every recent PNW protest has involved gunfire. Yeah. Yeah, and like the the one the August twenty second one had, I, I guess I guess you could call it a legitimate a exchange very of brief fire. exchange. Yeah. Yeah, a, a casual gunfight. I mean, the the start of it was not legitimate. The right winger who fired was not legitimate. Um, but the, the the two people on the left who responded were doing so in self defense. Now, right, what happened a couple of weeks later from the video that's come out was not self defense. It was a guy shooting at somebody, pursuing them from like fifty feet back. You know, it was not legally what you would call self defense for certain. Yeah, and that kind of the precedent that that set. Uh, which I, I think it's happened few enough times that we can't really say that it's it's the norm or anything like that. But it's still it's an escalation. It's yeah, something absolutely. that is did like if that if that had happened in twenty seventeen when Unite the Right happened, like that would have been unprecedented. It's very frightening, you know? It and, and it, it should be. It doesn't matter what you think about the morality of, of shooting tiny, you know, or whatever. Exchanges of fire becoming more common is a threat to everybody, and it is something that should concern everybody. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me a lot of, and this was kind of the impetus of the first season of It Could Happen Here, but like the early days of something like the Syrian Civil War, where it went from Mm -hmm. protests to exchanges of gunfire to you know, what it is now. Yeah. Do you think DC's specific gun laws um, will make gunfire in DC a little bit less likely, do you think? Or I, I know, like, still, like, the police always have that capacity if they feel, um, you know, if, if they choose to, but more specific on, like, the right between people, I don't know, it's like, you know, boogs are going to show up or whatever. Um, what kind of talk do you see around firearms? So, yeah. Kind of just from experience, I think my worry with DC's gun laws is only one side will be armed. Uh, every, every time that Chuds come to DC, I mean, they are obviously carrying. I mean, every single one of them is print is printing. You can tell that they have firearms on them. Uh, they don't really try to hide it, and none of them have ever... I mean, I guess apart from Tario getting arrested for illegal magazines like none of them have really faced any consequences for that and the general fear among people on the left is well even if i do come and i carry for self-defense if i get arrested for something unrelated that'll enhance whatever charges i get yeah no it's sketchy and it's um I don't, I'm not convinced in the situation DC is in specifically that showing up with a fucking firearm is, is the right call. You know, I, I'm not in this business to lecture people, but I'm not convinced that's going to help. In the Pacific Northwest, we've seen situations where people with weapons, as on the 22nd, defended themselves and others. And we've seen situations in which people on the wep- with weapons on the left escalated things. So it's not a, it's never a zero sum game. You know, it, it's not, it's not a simple issue. Right, a gun yeah, and, is a neutral tool, you know? Yeah, and I don't want to, like, I don't want it to come off like I'm encouraging, you know, every person in block to show up with a long gun. 
good lord like no. that. No, absolutely. Because that not. would be yeah. a fucking disaster, most likely. But also, like, I I don't like the idea of you know looking at a line of Proud Boys or something and knowing every single one of these people has a gun, and I do not. <laughs> That's kind yeah, of like absolutely an imbalance of force that I don't like when thing if things do escalate. Yeah. No, that that's completely reasonable, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is just there's so many unknowns. Uh, you know, we've never really... There's not much of a historical precedent for group tries to overthrow the government, group shows back up in D.C. months later, or elements of the same kind of ideology. And yeah. Yeah, we just don't know i mean even like i think the unite the right two example is similar but also like markedly different enough that i don't know if it's an all-encompassing tool for like this is what it's gonna look like yeah is, is there any like specific players that y- you know is gonna show up or, or or have like said that they're gonna show up so one that i kind of worry about is um oh i'm gonna get fucking tweets for this god damn it um so there's a group in virginia that you may have heard of uh blm 757 oh god Uh, these guys no yeah yeah, yeah, i know who you're talking about yeah uh they are based out of the virginia beach area and they are the biggest pain in the ass ever um they work with they claim to be a Black Lives Matter organization. Uh, yeah. The local Black Lives Matter organizations have denounced them. They work with Boogaloo Boys. They were very tight with Mike Dunn before he uh, snitched and was dropped off the face of the earth. Snitched on people, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, they, they come, and I don't like the idea of them coming to a town that is not familiar with them, because like they come to Richmond, for example, and people are like, oh, there's BLM 757, we don't fuck with them. But they come, you know, they come to a town, or groups like this, like uh, NFAC, the Not Not Fucking Around Coalition, tried to come to D.C., and I, these groups that are going to be armed, are going to want to escalate, and are going to kind of try to slide in to, like, a counter-demo, or stick around like the more left-leaning parts of the crowd and then could very quickly escalate things. Uh, so they're one that I'm worried yeah. about some local Virginia militia movement players have been chatting about it. I haven't seen really that much in the way of like definitive statements that they're going to go. Um, and th- those guys don't really worry me. They're, a bunch of nerds who like to play dress up in the woods mostly. But yeah, I, it's again, it's just like these kind of unknowns. Yeah. So just like not knowing who's going to show up and what they're going to do and where they'll be. And yeah. A lot. Yeah. Like, and this was a thing. Definitely. It reminds me a lot of the first stop the steel rally where we had more concrete, uh, groups saying we're going to be there there's a lot yeah. more chatter about it on social media, but it was still kind of like, I don't know like what range of the sort of right-wing ideological spectrum will be here. Like, I know, you know, QAnon, your QAnon uncle will be there. But, like, for example, on November 14th, 
uh, Jason Kessler was there, the organizer of Unite the Right. I literally yeah. bumped into Jason Kessler. Oh, God. <laughs> like, I was walking, and my shoulder hit him, and I looked up, and I was like, oh, sorry, dude. And then I just kind of stopped, and I was like, oh, shit. I recognize you. Yeah, you, you're that famous piece of shit. Yeah. But yeah, so like it's kind of that same thing where we don't, we really just don't have that much intel. And it seems like, you know, people with access to more streams of information than us, like the feds have been saying for, I guess, a couple months now, like we're monitoring this situation, we're like preparing to stop another January 6th, which take it with a grain of salt. It is the feds. But also, like, part of me, a lot of the worry I get from this is people that I know know more than I do reacting to it. Like, chud streamers hiring stringers. Feds saying, like, announcing months before that it's a situation that they're preparing for. A lot of people are very interested in what's going to happen. I think people are definitely preparing for a lot of different, different outcomes. And that makes any kind of resistance to it hard because you don't know if you're over if you're over preparing, under preparing. You don't know if you'll have what you'll. If your need. preparations are too aggressive or not aggressive enough, yeah, yeah. And always trying to like you know feel it out once you're there is more scary because once you're there in person, a lot of communications break down between other you know other activists. So that's what happened in like the last big rally in Portland, is people tried to you know change up plans once they got to the spot. And it kind of made everything a lot, a lot more challenging because it's hard to a lot of a lot of people in block don't have their phone on them. It's just it's hard to get rides. You know, any kind of any kind of impromptu organizing at the site, it's always going to be way more challenging than, than trying to figure this stuff out at home. And yeah, that's just kind of I don't know. It's it, I think I think the unite the right two background is useful for like a big event after you know a a previous event that had a lot of coverage and had a lot of talk about it um because it had you know a disastrous outcome and then i think looking at you know looking at november 14th and december 10th um are also are also kind of valuable indicators uh, has there been any have you seen anything around the groypers or like any of the fuentes crew showing up to this or are they, are they trying to just are they are they trying to like keep good optics i guess I, as far as I've seen, they're mostly trying to keep good optics around this. Um, that makes sense. They also yeah. they also kind of fall into the category of like people I'm not super worried about. Like some of them, yeah, but in, in like a street fight situation, in a street fight, less so. I, yeah, I'm not worried about a groiper. Yeah. Like, the, the most violent encounter I've ever had with a groiper was one that was probably five feet tall, following me around and calling me a soy boy for 30 minutes. Yeah, what I'm more concerned yeah. about is, is groipers kind of following the incel terrorism tradition of, you know, yeah. skinny, of skinny white guys getting access to weapons and then, then doing something. Uh, they're not yeah, gonna, any man with a gun is dangerous, yeah. Yeah, like, and they're not going to beat you. Is, yeah. Yeah, here, finish what you were saying, Garrison. Yeah, Sorry. I'm just saying, like, you know, all of, all of the Groypers I've seen, they're not going to beat me in a fist fight, because they're <laughs> all even even more... They're not. Even more lanky than I am. I was going to say, because you're fast as shit, but yeah. And that, and that, and that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of another thing that's 
you know, it's always a possibility of these things. Like I, I always say like the worst possible outcome is someone, someone starts shooting like a firefight is always the worst way this could go. But with the sort of optics surrounding this, I think there's definitely space for more extreme people, uh, specifically more accelerationist minded people to try to start something to try to cause some shit. I mean, uh, like I said, I'm in Virginia. I think of the Richmond gun rally, uh, in or lobby day in, what was that? 2019, 20 beginning of 2020. I, I forget all time is a flat circle to me now, but, um, the members of the base that were intercepted on their way to Richmond. Uh, I think about that situation and how other people and other groups uh, that we will not talk about on pod could see an opportunity here. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's more likely happening in somewhere like D.C. than it is in Portland, right? Because in Portland, we have a pretty good grip on who shows up and why they show up. On the, the East Coast, the South, um, Northeast, Southeast, they have a lot more groups with interest, with, you know, obscure ideologies that are more, I think, more prone to those types of, to those types of, like, um, more insurgent attacks than I think people are on the West Coast. Yeah, and I think another thing that kind of amplifies that is, like you said, like, Portland has kind of an established infrastructure of chud fuckery sure do you know i mean i i'm on the other side of the country and i know the familiar faces of portland bullshit and we we do have that to an extent but dc brings people from all across the country uh i was meeting people on the metro from everywhere from tennessee to kansas to california and when people are coming in from such a broad range of places, there's a lot more uncertainty. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. And anything else you want to mention about kind of what you expect at this rally and any, I don't know, general advice as since you've been at the past three versions? Yeah, so, I mean, if you're in the D.C. area or you're nearby and you're comfortable with it and physically able to do so... I show up. Um, the one thing that we do know for sure about these events is that the more bodies we have, the less likely it is for people to be able to prey on someone walking home from work or a houseless person just trying to sleep. Yeah. Uh, the more bodies that we have, the better it is. Um, if you are either unable to come or you don't feel comfortable coming. I know that there will be jail support, mutual aid efforts. Uh, and Garrison, I can send you to some links to local DC orgs. If you want to throw it in the show notes. Sure. Um, but yeah, just, and if you're going to go be prepared, have, have a buddy, uh, block up, Bring uh bring an IFAC and get ready to party. 
Yeah, I think it's one of the things you mentioned is like more numbers helps in the case of it's less likely there'll be like roaming attacks because that's what we've seen at a lot of these rallies is that sometimes they don't ever like actually cause trouble at where people are, you know, like where the, where the people are, they wait until people are walking away or going back to their car. Mm-hmm. Or if there's no one like that, they just find some random person on the street. You know, we saw a lot of that in D.C. Of, of, of Proud Boys just finding kind of people in the area that they thought looked like Antifa, quote unquote, and then just attacking them. Um, so, you know, the, the less scattered people are, um, the less likely you'll get kind of those roaming attacks. Yeah, I think... I mean, it's it's always hard to speculate on an event on an event that hasn't happened yet. But um, I believe by the time by the time this airs, it'll be happening tomorrow, so uh, s- Saturday. Theo, do you want to plug anything? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter um, at Theo Hansen, Theo with a zero. Uh, listen to my podcast, uh, Terrorism Bad. Uh, we look through portrayals of terrorism and extremism in popular media see how it holds up to the real world um trying to think of anything else i'll be there on saturday i'll be live tweeting the event uh good luck. if i'm not live tweeting yeah I'm good luck with that dead or otherwise incapacitated <laughs> or i don't have cell service one of the cell three. service is always horrible at these things oh it's awful yeah it's a constant problem yeah. yeah, they they were blocking signals on January 6th on the Capitol lawn. And when I stepped yeah. off, I had like 13 texts from all my friends. They were like, hey, text me if you're still alive. It's really hard to tell what's going on, uh, you know, when you're when you're like whether or not it's like a cell signal problem or if it's somebody like targeting you in particular. It's, it's frustrating. Yeah. All right. Well, th- thank you, Theo. Thank you for giving us the rundown on saturday's activities um i hope you don't get shot thank you yeah i hope i do not as well that's my general feeling towards anyone who shows up on on the 18th in dc i I hope you don't get shot do your best yeah and if you do get shot know what to do about it well yeah have a have a have Have, a have an ifac have a tournament you know have have some cell locks yeah that's ideal but not getting shot is better so Yes, you cannot rule number one. Try not to get shot. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that having is... me on, guys. Thanks. Nice to you. meet yeah. you, Robert and Sophie. Nice to meet you. You can um, guys. follow us Bye. at Happen Here Pod on Twitter and Instagram and at Cool Zone Media for all the things, and we'll be back Monday. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Rafi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation. Baby Beluga. So who is the man behind Baby Beluga? Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, all good things can grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Rafi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. After 30 years, it's time to return to the halls of West Beverly High and hang out at the Peach Pit. On the podcast 9021OMG, visit Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling for a rewatch of the hit series Beverly Hills 90210 from the very beginning. We get to tell the fans all of the behind-the-scenes stories that actually happened. So they know what happened on camera, obviously, but we can tell them all the good stuff that happened off camera. Listen to 9021OMG on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.